Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments. Where bold moves require confident blueprints. Where you can accelerate transformation through consistency. Where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at SAIC.com slash cloud. So all of a sudden, what I was going to do is I was going to go home. It's jet ski season. I like to jet ski. I figured my time, and they asked me if I'd do some Piper's Pits. I said to myself, in doing these pits, you know, well, now I'm excluding you folks. Just a second. Excluding in doing these pits, if we're going to do them, I want everybody in the whole house to have as much fun as I do. Because let me tell you how these were invented. The bottom line is we got, what do we got? We got Mike Tyson in jail. We got Buster Douglas busted for drunk driving. We got half the WWF wrestlers in a scandal. Now you don't get much more honest than that. Wow, so many scandals to cover this week. From the early 90s, when Pat Patterson, Mel Phillips, and others were accused of molesting underage boys that were doing ring crew, to the infamous Geraldo episode. Now it can be told that he tried to stir up a lot of shit with the WWF, him and his brother. To Scott Steiner running someone over with his truck. Seriously, for real. Now, it didn't cause the injuries as you would think. But Scott Steiner did get arrested over it. And then, as, as you will hear the research that I pulled, he kind of blew his original plea. We'll get into that a little bit later. And we got, obviously, a lot of wrestling tidbits to get into. The first lesbian kiss, the first high-profile lesbian kiss in wrestling history. I mean, oh, so many things. It never happened. Uh, very much looking forward to this episode. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 16 of This Week in Wrestling History. I am Don Tony, as always, and I want to thank you very much for listening. This week, we cover the period of April 17th through April 23rd. And, you know, we're going to kick it right off with a couple of audio clips. AWA Hulk Hogan. I mean, it's funny. If you go on YouTube and you actually watch a lot of interviews that Hulk Hogan did in the AWA, Hulkamania truly was born in the AWA. Towards the latter part of his tenure there, I mean, he mirrored everything that he was saying and doing in the AWA in the WWF, and it just, it's sad to look back on it and realize how fucked up the situation ended up with Hogan and the AWA. Now, look, of course, some of it had to do with contract issues. Vern Gagne wanted a percentage of what Hogan was making in Japan. There was issues with merchandise, but if you were an AWA fan at the time, you know, there's nothing wrong with being trolled once in a while. I always said, for me, the most infamous, earliest trolling job that was intentionally done in wrestling for me was when WWF had Sifi Afi 
come out in Madison Square Garden. You got to understand in the mid 80s, especially early to mid 80s, Jimmy Superfly Snooker was arguably the number one popular wrestler here on the East Coast. I mean, when Hogan came in, obviously things changed, but arguably Snooker, everybody would go, as Pat Patterson would say, banana. I mean, it was just insane. And when Snooker left, and they tried to tease that he returned, and they've brought this up on the other shows in the past, do a YouTube search. Just look up when Sifi Afi made his Madison Square Garden debut, and they advertised him. And, you know, look, I don't blame Howard Finkel, but he paused, and he said, from the Fiji Islands, and then you heard him say, Superfly, the crowd went fucking bananas. And then after Superfly, he said, Sifi Afi. And you could hear the air deflate out of the balloon. And he got shitted out of the building. Halfway through that match, they were just chanting, we want Snooker. And I kind of felt bad for Sifi Afi. He was just doing his job. But I was never a fan of Sifi Afi. But uh, in AWA... I guess you could call it trolling as well, because in 1982, this week in wrestling history, Hulk Hogan defeated Nick Bockwinkle to win the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. Now, the live crowd there went crazy. He won. They announced him as the winner, and everything was done. The event went, you know, went to black. Everybody went home. Hogan, holy shit, is the new AWA heavyweight champion. And then six days later, the AWA president, Stanley Blackburn, quote-unquote, overturns the decision because illegal objects were used during the match. Now, when that happened in 82, fans were pissed off. But it also helped the popularity of Hogan because they wanted it even more. They wanted him to be champion even more. And I'm going to share with you right now the closing moments of that match, how it went down. Audio sometimes doesn't do its justice because if you look at the video, you can see how crazy the fans went with this. But there's a reason why I'm playing this audio clip because something will be superseding it. Look out. Here comes a suplex high in the air. Coming on Bachwinkle. Oh, oh, just about took his face off. Flying leg smash. Heenan let one go with a foreign object, I think, in his hand. Referee was around the other side. Down on the mat to watch Bachwinkle's shoulders. Trying to follow up on it now. Trying to keep... Oh! And Hogan is... He's bleeding. His forehead is split. That has to be from that foreign object that Bobby Heenan hit Hogan with. I'm assuming now. Hogan is getting madder and madder. Bobby 
complaining to the referee. He threw something into the ring. Hogan intercepted it. So now this is 1982. Hogan is stripped of the heavyweight title. Fans are pissed off. But again, we all at the time feel, okay, Hogan, you know, he's going to get the belt. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. One year later, almost to the day. Actually, it is was the one-year anniversary of Stanley Blackburn stripping Hogan of the AWA title. One-year anniversary to the date this week. In 1983, this happened. Flares, groggy, shaky, trying to get up. Again, Bachwinkle puts the sleeper hold on. Flares trying to come to. He's in the corner. The sleeper. Flares goes down. Bachwinkle holding on. The Hulk may be losing it. Now he drives. Both Flares Bockwinkle into the corner, and Blears is out. He is absolutely out. Bockwinkle isn't in much better shape, nor is Hogan. But Blears is the one who is the worst for wear in the ring now. Again, the sleeper hold by Hulk Hogan from Nick Bockwinkle. And Bockwinkle flips me out of the ring. Rather, Hogan flipped Bockwinkle out of the ring. I beg your pardon. We're at the 20-minute mark. Hogan over-talking with Lord Blears. Bockwinkle will come back in with a scoop leg. Down he goes. Here comes Hogan. Here is the leg smash. Here is the cover. Here is the count. One, two.
he visits with the new AWA heavyweight champion of the world, the incredible Hulk Hogan. that Hulk Hogan threw Nick Bockwinkle over the top rope. Because of that, the Hulk is disqualified and the belt remains with Nick Bockwinkle. the second year in a row AWA trolled the fans and this time around they were throwing garbage in the ring because they announced the reversal during the match right after the match ended so uh not good not good and to add wood to the fire a lot of the wrestling magazines picked up on is Hogan going to leave uh AWA Some of the interviews that were done immediately after this match insinuated that Hogan was going to leave AWA. In fact, here are two very quick promos, one from Hogan and one from Bockwinkle that took place almost immediately after the match ended in 1983. I would like to bring in the man who, in my opinion, is the world's heavyweight champion. Over 28,000 people in St. Paul, Minnesota, a week ago, certainly agreed with, with that consensus opinion. You've got to be heartbroken, disappointed. I don't know if words mean a whole lot at this point, but Hulk Hogan, you've had a week to think about all of this. Where are we at? You know something, Mean Gene? Just like my main man, B.B. King, said, every day I got the blues. Well, you know something? I feel really bad right now, Mean Gene. Three times out, I stepped in the center of the ring and proved myself a better man. This last time, all I did was go to my people. I said, stand behind me one more time. That's all I need. Just one more time, get behind me, and I'll bring it home. Yes, I did beat the man in the center of the ring. Yes, I did prove that I'm a superior being. But that's not enough, Mean Gene. That is not enough. Hulk Hogan, Stanley Blackburn overruling Lord James Blears. You had the belt. The fans went absolutely, totally crazy, and... and and Hulk, I know this is tough for you to live with. You know something, Mean Gene? I had the belt in my hand. They gave the thing to me. And then Stanley Blackburn took it upon himself to make the decision to steal the belt from me. It was like in the center of the arena in Rome when Caesar put his thumb down. I heard 20-some thousand people boo. I felt the pain run through my body for everybody in there. It's like when I was a little pup, Mean Gene. I lost somebody in my family very close to me. That's the same feeling I have now. I cannot live with it anymore. You say you cannot live with it. Can you be more specific, Hulk Hogan? I'm going to get real specific, Mean Gene. Time and time again, everybody knows the holster never tells a lie. I came out here, gave it my all, every move, 100% dedication. And you know something? 
I feel that I beat Nick Brockenfield, but that is not enough. I let my people down, the people that stood behind me from day one. So I'm going to take it upon myself now, Mean Gene. I'm leaving the AWA for good. I don't deserve to wrestle here anymore. Hulk Hogan, do you, re do you have any idea what you are saying? Ladies and gentlemen, I am in shock. Hulk Hogan stating he is leaving the AWA. He doesn't deserve to wrestle here any longer. Hopefully we'll have more on that next weekend. Have a good one. So long. Some kind of a match indeed. Bobby Heenan, Nick Bockwinkle, as I privately told Hulk Hogan, perhaps the darkest time is just before dawn. What a big match. Very controversial in the opinion of many. My entire career, one of the most frequent questions asked is what was your toughest match? And until recently, there were several. But I can stand here unequivocally and tell the entire sports world that the match you just witnessed was my toughest. I felt like I was got knocked out a couple of different times only to come back from the stars and the blurriness. But I want you to know one thing. If Hulk Hogan, because you have left, you felt you humiliated yourself, you failed to get the job done, that's right. Because you did not get the job done. You knew you were going down when I had the sleeper and you intentionally right in front of 28,000 people in Stanley Blackburn threw me over the top rope so you would not lose face. And you have now picked up your marbles and you have gone home. You know, he makes a big speech. I'm never going to wrestle here again. I'm this, I'm that. No one knows where he is. They can't find him. Right now, his mother's probably on her hands and knees trying to coax him out from under the bed. Floor's all wet from tears. He doesn't answer the phone. No mail to his home. No one can find him. He's hiding. Well, I don't blame you for hiding, Hogan. You were embarrassed. You came out there and gave 200%. You hit this man with everything you had, and you still did not leave the ring the champion of the world, and you never will, Hogan. You did the best thing you could have done was take off and hide, and I'm glad, and I'm going to speak for the family. I am personally glad... We've seen the last of the incredible Hulk Hogan. Well, let me tell all the fine wrestling fans one last word. Hogan, I do now know something. Having gone through hell and the toughest match of my career with you, considered the most promising man in the world in this sport, I now know how to beat you. And if I ever get my hands on you again, if you think you were humiliated before because of what you failed to accomplish, you will be humiliated even more because I will take and accomplish the one thing that nobody else has done. I will defeat you, pin you, and beat you. You better stay hiding, Hogan. I thank you very much, gentlemen. Now, Hogan would stick around in the AWA until the end of November 1983. In fact, just to show you how much they were trolling at the time, uh, the last appearance of Hogan, he had wrestled Jerry Blackwell. For AWA, and that was his last match. But on the same card, they had a battle royal. And the stipulation was that whoever won the battle royal would get a shot at Nick Bockwinkle and the AWA Heavyweight Championship. And Hogan won that as well. But Hogan ended up going to Japan. And what a lot of people may not know, because, look, you know, Andre's gone. Yes, Hogan has exaggerated some things about Andre over the years from his weight to other things. But, you know, for people that think that Hogan and Andre weren't sort of close over their wrestling career, 
do some research because when Hulk Hogan made the jump to WWF, he got married a week before. And there is footage of the wedding online. And two of the individuals who attended the wedding were Andre the Giant and Antonio Inoki. And I think the marriage took place in Japan. So uh, Andre was involved with Hogan quite a bit in matches, even in AWA. But I uh, figured I'd share a little history. Hulk Hogan in the AWA fiasco from 82 and 83. Speaking of fiasco, I, I was shocked that this footage is available online because one of the features that I started adding recently to these episodes is pro wrestling debuts. A lot of people are curious who debuted in what year, if it's available, what match, who did they wrestle, did they win, did they lose? And in some cases, you get the year you might be lucky and get the event, but very rare do you find old footage. And we found it for Road Warrior Hawk, 1983. Just to show you like how quickly Road Warrior Hawk became a, a, a megastar. Because I still remember as a, a young wrestling fan having a magazine of, uh, it wasn't Pro Wrestling Illustrated or Inside Wrestling. It was a different wrestling magazine that was out for a very short period of time. And I remember the Road Warriors being on the cover. And it said something 84. I don't remember the name. I'm sure I could do a simple Google search and find it. But it was 84. The Road Warriors on the front. It was something apostrophe 84. So when you realize the Road Warriors going crazy in 1984, it is only one year earlier, 1983. Road Warrior Hawk makes his pro wrestling debut. His name was Crusher Von Haig. And he actually wrestled in Vancouver, British Columbia. He lost his debut match against Moondog Moretti. The, f the match itself is online, and he lost by DQ because he tossed Moondog Moretti over the top rope. But I wanted to play some audio of Crusher Von Haig, a.k.a. Road Warrior Hawk, cutting a promo about his first ever match in wrestling. And pay attention to the announcer as far as the size of Road Warrior Hawk's feet. With, of course, you know Moose Borowski on uh, my left is Crusher Von Haig, and we're going to be looking at his battle here in just a minute. You know, I just want to mention the Crusher, he wrestled at Moondog Moretti. You know, if it wouldn't have been for the long airplane trip from London to Vancouver, something like 11 hours in the air, he got off the airplane at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, no sleep. he come all the way from South Africa. So that puts it like about 25 hours in the air, comes right to the arena. He'd have beat Moondog within a minute, let alone three minutes. Well, we're going to get an opportunity to take a look at that match with uh, Crusher Von Haig and Moondog Moretti. And uh, Crusher, maybe uh, as we get this up here, you'll get an opportunity to talk to me about it. One thing about Crusher is uh, you should see the size of this man's feet. Size 23 shoes. Size 23 shoes. Could you believe? Crusher Von Haig is a big fella, and we'll get a chance to take a look here at his match. You had to call him Moon Frog because he jumped out of the ring like a frog. Yeah, I got him good there. Yeah, boy. He threatened me with that closed fist. There he goes down. Easy. It's easy. Moon Frog. He tried to jump out of the ring on me. You're calling a moon frog? That's right. He jumped out of the ring like a stinking frog. The punk. 
Have you ever seen a professional wrestler with a body like the Crusher right here? Not in your life. How many wrestlers have you seen come through Canada, United States? You have never seen anybody as strong as the Crusher. Now, I just want to mention one thing. Between the Crusher and the great Moose Murawski, you're looking at almost 600 pounds of muscle and blood and steel. And we don't back up for nothing. Look at the Crusher right here. Take a look at that. He took him down an arm bar. Normally, there's not a human being in the world can do that. But he done it with one hand, not two, with one arm, with one of his 21-inch arms. And of course, that's a pretty big fellow that Moondog Moretti is 260-some-odd uh, pounds. He don't look so big in there when he's sitting next to me, though, does he? Oh, I have to admit, he doesn't. Right, he don't. He's just a moon frog. He jumped out of the ring like a weasel. That's what he did. He's hitting with the best shot, and he don't even put him to his knees. Now, that's a man. That's why I brought him from South Africa here. Now, look at this. Just watch this. Take a look. Look at that. What did Moretti do? He punched him a low blow. It was a low blow. That's the only reason the cruncher went down. Cheap shot from a cheap dude. That's all I got to say. Look at this. What's he got now? I'll be out of this no problem. He, take, he takes a hard match. He gets beat bad. You give a person a beating bad. They don't want to come back. That's all. It's to it. The man got beat bad. He doesn't want nothing to do with me. He never wanted nothing to do with Moose. I, uh, I noticed that you changed your hairstyle a little bit, Crusher. That's to keep their hands out of my hair. Like lice in my hair is what they were. That's where You take a look at this now. This, there. One arm out of that ring. He jumped like a frog. There's no nobody in the world. Take a look at the body on this man. Take a look at that. You people, take a look at it. You women now, just hot. Don't. Don't shut the television off, you ladies. You're looking at a perfect specimen right there. Moon Dog Moretti and Crusher Von Hague. You can just imagine. I think they will get an opportunity to take a look at the size of the boots of this man. That is what a size 23 shoe looks like. And if you want to have one of those landing on top of you, all you have to do is get in a ring with this fella. I, I wouldn't want to have him stand anywhere. Matter of fact, I think I'll back away a little bit. I wouldn't want him to get anywhere near standing on my foot. You know, it's not only his feet that are big, but take a look at that paw. You know, he was the one that developed the famous claw hole. Now, there's not too many people that when he puts that claw in there and it starts squeezing their skulls, that they don't pass out. That's what he does. He turns around and applies it to their head, squeezes it until they pass right out, and he's been victorious all over the world. He is the one, the crusher, the one and only Hague has made that hole famous all over the world. Now, obviously, from South Africa, he sounds like a fucking surfer. Yo, is this, yeah, the dude couldn't hang with me. Yeah, you see what I did there? I could have picked him up. I, I mean, and it didn't even sound like Road Warrior Hall. They built him from South Africa, and they kept saying that he had size 23 shoes. When you realize that Andre the Giant had size 24, it, I even checked because i don't buy shoes from canada i don't buy shoes from europe i know that shirt sizes and suit sizes kind of you know change i made the mistake several years ago on ebay i bought a size 50 long suit but didn't notice that it was 50 long european size so when i got it i don't even think an ethiopia could have fit in the suit it was so small so i was stuck with it 
So, but as far as shoes go, because they were in British Columbia, I said, okay, you know what? Maybe size 23 shoes over there mean size 14 in the United States. No, size 23 there means size 23 here. And if the announcer thought he was using European sizes, then Road Warriors Hawks, Hawks feet would be in U.S. size, smaller than a baby's foot. <laughs> size 23, and they even focused in on his feet. His feet didn't look, they look like size 12 or 13 tops. So there you go. 1984, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch defeat Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas to win the WWF tag titles. I remember watching that match on TV. And uh, you know, it, was, it was a pretty good match. We fast forward to 1986. AWA had an event, arguably, and I don't think anybody will dispute this, the best card that they had or the last big event that they had before they closed their doors. Yes, they had major events after that, but not to the level of this. I have read reviews over the years, people complaining, oh, how long this fucking show was and this and that. You know, when you look at WrestleManias now, honestly, honestly, and I'm not saying this is sound like an asshole in any way, shape, or form, but I have no problem watching four hours of Wrestle Rock 86. Then, you know, if I'm going to watch four hours of WrestleMania, I'm going to watch four hours of Wrestle Rock 86. And when you look back at this card from top to bottom, it was phenomenal. It was 16 matches. Yes. People will say probably five or six of these matches could have been left off the card and it would have been looked at as one of the greatest cards of, you know, that generation. Fine. But you know what? You have people on the roster that maybe aren't as popular or as big as other wrestlers and you want to give them a payday. You know, you hear in this day and age, in this climate that we live in, that, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. How come this person doesn't get a match and his this person doesn't get a match? And, hey, how come Sasha and Bailey can't have a match at WrestleMania and that? Well, you know what? <laughs> There's Not everybody could get it. But if you throw them in a battle royal, hey. And they did do a battle royal at WrestleRock, but it was a women's battle royal. And he only had 10 people in it. So I had no problem with the card being this long. One of the WrestleCrap moments to remember about WrestleRock 86 was their rap that they did to hype up this event. And, you know, I when I heard the beat the first time, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like the Super Bowl shuffle, the Chicago Bears from 1985. And if you actually listen to those beats back-to-back, WrestleRock was a complete ripoff of the Super Bowl shuffle. In fact, you know, because this was 1986, I can understand why legal action wasn't filed, but I'm a little surprised, you know, that later on we didn't hear any legal action from the uh, the band that created the Super Bowl Shuffle as far as the beat goes. It was, I mean, if you listen to the first 10 seconds of each song, it is a total ripoff of the Super Bowl Shuffle. It's not the exact same beat of the Super Bowl Shuffle because when I was looking online for a really good quality copy of the the Wrestle Rock Rumble, couldn't find one. And I thought, okay, maybe what I'll do is I'll just mix the beats together and, and because I have a really good quality copy of the Super Bowl Shuffle, but it is different beat. If you had a drum machine, you could make this beat. So it's not like, you know, somebody was actually, no, you could actually recreate it. But still, nonetheless, uh, the rap is what a lot of people sadly remember about this. And, and if you never heard the Wrestle Rock Rumble, 
The rap was performed by several AWA stars at the time and announcers Ken Resnick, the Midnight Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, Sheik Adnan Al Casey, Jerry Blackwell, Greg Gagne, Kurt Henning, Scott Hall, Nick Bockwinkel, Larry Zabisco, Vern Gagne, and I believe Scott Ledoux. So if you've never heard it, enjoy the Wrestle Rock Rumble. <laughs> Ken Rednick, and I'm here to say we've got the greatest wrestlers in the AWA. But you're not here to listen to me mumble. Let's fill you in on the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Get on! Wrestle Rock, be there. We're the Midnight Rockers, Sean and Marty. We love to wrestle, and we love to party. You don't have to worry, we're not gonna bumble, because we'll, we'll be shaking to the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! Wrestle Rock. I'm the shit, and that's not funny. I got my army a lot of money. If Ganya in my way, I make him crumble. He be sorry. I did the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Wrestle Rock, be there. I'm Jerry Blackwell. I want to see. I want to get my hands on that pencil neck geek. As I watch the EDF fumble, I'm going to make my splash in the Wrestle Rock Rumble. The AWA, you, me, and Wrestle Rock. I'm in a rage. I want Brody and I want him in a cage. The high flying dropkick will make him see double. I grind him up at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Woo! Wrestle Rock. I'm Kurt Hennig and Big Scott Hall. The tag team champs will take on them all. So bring on the long riders, those dirt ball dumbos. We'll smear those bushes. Use the Wrestle Rock Rumble. I've got a passion. I'll get the title back from the humanoid Hanson. I've got the brains and I'm not humble. I'll take the belt back and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Wrestle Rock, April 20th, at the door. Wrestle Rock, 86, evil. I won't be through till I get done slapping around Scott and the two. Gonna beat the ugly bartender into a bundle and laugh all the way doing Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! This game dog got a mouth that won't quit, but I'm Scott and you want to smack a little shit. And when I'm through, you won't be able to mumble. I'll be left alone doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Yeah! Just one last word from the former champ, Burn, but give a lot of thought to one more turn. There's some old scores that still give me trouble, and I'm starting to get the urge to do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. So there you have it, and now you know them, and on April 20th, it's at the Dome. So get your ticket to be under the bubble, because you two can be doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Do it! Uh. Wrestle Rock Rumble. Uh, 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 uh,
Now, when you go back and look at that card from top to bottom, it, it was a really good event. I enjoyed it, and I believe it is on the WWE Network. So in case you are curious of the results from that night, Brad Rangins over Boris Zukov in a midgets match. Little Mr. T and Cowboy Lang over Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo. Colonel De Beers over Wahoo. Playboy Buddy Rose and Doug Summers over the Midnight Rockers. Tiger Mask over Buck Rock and Roll Sumoff. Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo over the Fabulous Ones. Giant Baba over Bulldog Bob Brown. Holly Race and Rick Martell fought to a double countout. Sherry Martell won a 10-woman's battle royal that featured Luna Vachon, Misty Blue Sims, Despina Montajas, I believe, Cat LaRue, Joyce Grable, Rose Devine, Candy Devine. Remember Candy Devine's name. Got a story later on. And Debbie Combs. Sergeant Slaughter over Kamala. Kern Henning and Scott Hall over the Long Riders. Larry Zabisco and Scott Ledoux had a 10-round martial art boxing match. And it ended in the fifth round. Larry Zabisco was disqualified. Stan Hansen over Nick Bockwinkle. Greg Gagne and Jimmy Snooker over King Kong Brody, a.k.a. Bruiser Brody. And Nord the Barbarian in a steel cage match. Vern Gagne over Sheik Adnan El Casey. And the Road Warriors over Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin in a steel cage. You know, top to bottom, it was a great card. Is it the best AWA card of all time? No. But it was still very much enjoyable. This week in 1988, WWF tapes Saturday Night's main event. In addition to that, uh, three episodes of the Wrestling Challenge were taped, which featured the ring announcing debut of Mike McGurk. Also this week in 1988, you know, people have asked me over the years, who influenced me as far as my style, my attitude? And it goes from commentators to comedians to announcers to personalities. I mean, I've talked about so many over the years. One person who is the top of my list is Morton Downey Jr. I was a tremendous fan of the Morton Downey Jr. show. I have every episode in my collection. Fucking loved it. The guy was way ahead of his time. Yes, it got really wacky towards the end, but for that two-plus-year period, man, was that fucking awesome. I wish Morton Downey Jr. was in his prime and alive today. I think he would be such an influence, and, you know, he was just, he was phenomenal. Yes, I know the accusations of, you know, some controversies that he may have created himself, but still... The episodes that he had, he just was very outspoken and just talked shit and allowed people to say shit. And yes, things went a little bit nuts on his shows, but it was this week in 88 that the episode involving pro wrestling took place. Now, look, it was an hour-long episode. I can't play the whole hour. I'm going to share with you a few minutes of the highlights from that episode. Some of the voices that you'll hear is Dr. D. David Schultz, Cat Lou Albano, you got Thunderbolt Patterson, who is really, I guess, trying to play the race card that night. Morton Downey Jr. You will hear uh, a very, very young Paulie Dangerously make an appearance on here. Uh, Dennis Carluzzo, I believe, was there that night. And uh, you got this gym guy who... Just do a Google image search from this episode and just look at Jim. And when you hear Jim talking about, you know, how promoters wanted to have sex with him and stuff like that and dr d in his face you know what who would want to have sex with you (laughs) it was out there 
And I know in this day and age, some people will actually take offense to some of what has been said, but I'm going to share with you anyway how it went down. Here are highlights from this week in 88, Morton Downey Jr. and pro wrestling. Enjoy. Hey, uh, this guy here, Wilson. First thing, I never heard of you, never heard your name before you went on some news show and come out saying that wrestling's fake and all this and that somebody wanted to make love to you or some, some man or something. Well, see, I've never had that problem. You say it goes on everywhere. I've never had that problem with a man. Man never come up and ask me nothing because I had plenty of women. Now, I've been in wrestling 15 years. No promoter ever made love to me or tried to make love to me or asked me for sexual favors. I think you're a liar. I think you're a liar and you want publicity. That's all you want. I don't think you can play football. I don't think you can wrestle. I don't think you're, I don't even think you should be out here. I think you're just somebody that wanted to come up here and say, I'm a professional wrestler. There's a thousand people out here, a hundred thousand people want to get in the limelight. And you say, you come out and say, first thing I want to know, what gives you the right to even be out here? Have yeah, you ever Tommy, beat Jim, anybody? Have Jim, you ever beat anybody? I don't even know. Answer, man. Well, number one, uh, because of my sexual persuasion uh, and the fact the, the fact that I didn't want to participate uh, in that life. He's been in the business 15 years and that never happened to him. How come it happened to you? Hey, maybe I mean, he didn't like him. And he's not, he's not any prettier than you like him. Huh? I guess the promoter didn't like him that way. Did he like you? He must have. Did you kiss him? You know, he, you know, he's, he's, did you ever wrestle? Did you ever wrestle? Did I what? Did you wrestle, Jim? Of course I wrestled. You did wrestle? you win anything? I've wrestled and I've been in the business since 1968. How many matches have you had? A couple thousand. A couple thousand? Dr. D, sounds like... Uh, I've never heard of him. You never heard of him? I've never heard of him. Boy, what name did you wrestle I, I wrestled under my own name. All right, let me, let, let me ask you then. If I could arrange a match between you two guys, would that be all right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anytime, anytime. No, right now. Right yeah, now. Right now. Let me. Let me. I want to go. I want to go to Paul dangerously on the telephone. Paul, can you hear me, buddy? Yes, I can, Mort. Paul, let me ask you a question. You've been listening to this show, stuff. Yes, I have. All right. You listen to Jim Wilson's life story. What do you make of his statement that he was basically blackballed from wrestling? Uh. <laughs> Jim Wilson was blackballed from wrestling, and that is the truth, and I'll tell you why right now. Because he was such a loser, he never drew a dime in his life, and nobody ever wanted to pay the sale. The fact is, Mort, that the wrestling business is exactly like television. If you don't produce ratings, I don't care how good looking you are, I don't care how many cigarettes you smoke, I don't care what producers you sleep with, you're off the air. Walk easy, Paul. With everybody. Uh-uh. He never drew a dime, and they said, get out of the business. You're a loser. How much money did you make in wrestling? How much money did you make in wrestling, Jim? I didn't make a lot of money. The, uh, well, you said you've had a couple thousand matches. Yeah. The, the, the best uh, trip that I had was to Australia for $800 a week back in 1973. Ooh. 800 bucks a week in Australia? Right. And they cut that, like I say, when I wouldn't go to bed uh, with the promoter. They, uh, How come? I have never, Jim. Look at baby. I gotta tell you, pal. You are not that sexually attractive, even. <laughs> you know, that's why, why is that's 
come back and we're going to look into the deep heart and soul of wrestling my friends we're going to talk to one of the great teachers stand by let me introduce let me introduce all right right now let me introduce a loudmouth number two pretty boy larry sharp he's the owner of the monster factory where some of the best some of the best wrestlers are trained let me come back to jim for just a second you claim that the kingpins of wrestling like Vince McMahon uh, and TV tycoon Ted Turner, all right, uh, effectively blackball wrestlers who don't play by their rules. Not true. Did you? Did Not they true. throw you out of the ring? Did they what? Throw you out of the ring? In, in essence, they did. They kept us out of the ring. And what they did, Mort, in 1974, uh, and T-Bolt and I were together doing this, That's trying to elevate the position, elevate the position of the performers. Number one, which is the bottom line of, of everything we're talking about now, Jim. Money. Money and benefits. A shared equity in the billion dollar a year pie that is not being distributed equitably. You want be somebody to give you something for nothing again. No, no we don't, don't want to no. work. How do you want to share it? By setting up a union? We oh, wait a minute. Well, it wouldn't be a bad wait idea to have benefits for the boys and stuff oh. like that. But you're not going to go about it the way you're talking about. There's money to be made out there. Maybe they can turn around and take $10 out of each boy's pay as he wrestles and have the promoter match that, sit down at the bargaining table with the promoter, and it's maybe they wouldn't be better no, the better How idea, How come they threw him out? I can the, say that to the, a promoter. The, How come he can't? The better idea is because we are putting our bodies on the line. No, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You no, ain't no, put wait. your body nowhere. I've been putting my body on the line. Crying. You're crying, man. You ain't never done nothing to nobody. This guy's crying. Let me tell you, I went to the top. In every league, AWA, NWA, WWF, I've been there. I made the money, and I was kicked out. But you don't hear me out here crying about it. I didn't need no benefits. Right. I had money. I could buy what I wanted because I was good. I produced, and I did it. And I don't cry about it. You're the one crying about it. You're the one piece of That's what you are. You're a piece of I want to come right, down doctor, here. Doctor, okay, Pretty boy. Pretty boy, now. This is the guy who's trained more wrestlers, all right? More champions in your monster factory. Is what he says. Hey, Doc, look down here a second. I need doctor, you, pal. Doctor, hey, Doc, doctor, come here a second now. Shut up. I right. ain't your brother. I Don't call me something. brother. I'm not a brother of yours. Indeed. Doctor, go ahead. Indeed. Is what he says about McMahon and these other guys, the promoters screwing around with these guys. Is this true? Let me tell you something. If there was a union in professional wrestling where a guy had to get up and show some wrestling holds, guys like him would never get in wrestling in the first place. Guys like this guy right here wouldn't get in wrestling in the first place. Because I'm going to tell you why right now. Schultz was in Atlanta, 1975, 1976. I was in Charlotte. You were on top. I was training Tony Atlas. His first week in wrestling, he made $900. I made four. He got pushed. Because he was black, you Hold got on. pushed because you were black, and I was a better wrestler than you, which is reverse right, right, discrimination, right, okay. and I didn't okay. get the job because you were black.
it was because Tony Ellis was their boy. Was their boy? Is, is he telling the truth? Come on, is he Who telling the truth? He was a talented athlete. He was a professional bodybuilder. He was a professional bodybuilder. And I trained him. I know who he is. Wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that every black man who makes it, makes it because he kisses the white man's... That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you, but it's a lie. Well, let me give you some facts about that. Right I got the largest wrestling school in the world. David Schultz's got a school, and he can tell you, I get 1%. That's one black man out of 100 tries out to be a professional wrestler. Maybe if they had a little bit more guts and intestinal fortitude, they would come down and try out. Is the reason that they don't try out because they know they're not going to get a fair shake? They'll get a fair shake. In professional wrestling, as they will in any other big business or in any other sport. This guy's crying just like when uh, down in Texas, when Tony Dorsett signed for the biggest contract in the world, Herschel Walker comes in, gets more money. Now Dorsett's crying. If he didn't like what he was getting, he shouldn't have took it with or without the other guy. That's a bunch of Football, spring, spring training. They get tight. You hear them crying? Jim and I, we're here. We're out of place. Yeah, you are. Right. You're right. You're out of place. You're right. You're out of place. You're out of place. I was watching basketball the other night. I didn't see a white man on the court. You don't see me out there. Mr. Perfect defeated Tito Santana in a tournament final to win the vacated Intercontinental Championship. This title had originally been vacated when the Ultimate Warrior won the heavyweight title at WrestleMania VI. Now we get to 1992, the year of the scandals. So many clips I could have chose from. 2020, Current Affair, ABC, CBS, Local News. He settled for two. You could have two clips here. First one is very, very brief, but it really paints the picture of what you're going to hear after that. This has to do with a ring boy by the name of Tom Cole who was awarded $55,000 from WWF because he had accused Mel Phillips and others of inappropriate touching when he was a ring boy between the ages, I think, 13 and 16. It's fucked up. clip is only about two or three minutes long, but it gives you an idea of what started to cold down in 1992 following that you will get the big one Geraldo and his brother ruffling feathers to the point that they were sued the following year but first here is the local clip that went down in Connecticut 1992 22-year-old Tom Cole was hired as a ring boy for the World Wrestling Federation when he was 13 years old. For the next three years, he says he was sexually abused by his supervisor, Mel Phillips, who Cole says has a foot fetish. And Cole says there were other abusers besides Phillips. I was grabbed on numerous occasions in my, ta- on my testicles and my buttocks by uh, Pat Patterson of the World Wrestling Federation. And uh, Terry Garvin propositioned me when I was 16, offered me cocaine and all kinds of drugs to uh, have sex with him. When I refused, I was let go from the company when I was 16. And then I returned again when I was 19. I was let go again because I refused Terry Garvin's advances. So Cole hired a lawyer and ended up with a $55,000 settlement to cover lost wages. As for Mel Phillips, he was fired from the company. But Cole's family says firing Phillips wasn't enough, and they were at the Stanford headquarters today demanding justice. 
I would like to see Mel Phillips put behind bars where the hell he belongs. Because he's a child molester, the man. He can just, it's enough for him just to step down from his job. He's walking the streets, he's molesting children. The man should be put in jail. World Wrestling Federation President Linda McMahon says an outside investigator concluded there was no evidence of Phillips molesting employees, but the company fired him anyway. First he was put on suspension pending investigation. The investigation was taking so long, there was so much negative happening with it that we finally told Mel that it was better for him and better for our company for him to go on in a different way. McMahon doesn't deny Phillips had a foot fetish, but she said it had become a joke and was blown out of proportion. You call a man filming your feet for hours at a time and playing with your feet and making you cry when you're only 13 years old and re recording it for his own um, sexual purposes. If, you call, if she calls that normal, then obviously there's something wrong with her also. McMahon says she took a personal interest in Cole and tried to send him to counseling, encouraged him to get his high school equivalency, and finally offered to put him through Westchester Community College with a promise to come back and work for the company if he passed all his courses. She says she was greatly disappointed when he did none of the above. We took an opportunity to help a young man who, for whatever reason, seemed confused, um, he seemed troubled, and wanted to have an opportunity in life, and we, we felt that we could help him. Cole says McMahon's efforts were not out of personal interest, but for personal gain. That's an issue the courts will have to decide. In Stanford, Allison King, News 12. That same week, Geraldo got involved in this scandal as well. Now, I trimmed his segment down quite a bit because his show, I believe, was an hour as well. But I think what we include really gets it into the meat and potatoes of what was alleged during that time. We were right smack in the middle of scandals in the WWF. We had the steroid scandal. We had the uh, sex scandal of alleged inappropriate uh, touching uh, by Pat Patterson and others with ring boys. And almost every news outlet out there was covering it. CBS, ABC, 2020, cable news, tabloid shows... Donahue and others from top to bottom, everybody was covering it. And Geraldo's pissed off people in the WWE in particular. And I believe this actually culminated in a lawsuit between the WWF and uh, Geraldo's show, which at the time was called Now It Can Be Told. I think this was a year before the fiasco with Al Capone. But still, uh, in 1994, WWF would sue Geraldo and the show because of some specific allegations of rape that were put in there. But anyway, um, so it was this week in 1993 that this aired on television. Now, I don't know how many episodes. I didn't bother researching it. I don't know how many episodes of Now It Can Be Told were done by Geraldo and his brother during that time. But it has been reported over the years that this episode on pro wrestling was the highest rated episode that that series had ever done. So if you've never heard it, I'm going to play some samples of it right now. It's got, you know, some very controversial accusations in there. And you will hear some very familiar faces. Superstar Billy Graham, the late Bruno Sammartino, uh, just from top to bottom. So here you go, some audio from 1993's Now It Can Be Told. 
Today we get into the ring with the World Wrestling Federation for a no-holds-barred grapple over a sensational sex scandal. It's a circus thinly disguised as a sport. I'm cool. I'm the Intercontinental Champion. But accusations of sordid seduction and sexual harassment have the big top pulling down on the ringleaders of the World Wrestling Federation. This is not family entertainment. It sure isn't. Not amidst charges that ring boys, referees, even the wrestlers themselves had to perform sexual favors to get and keep their jobs. They would have to cooperate, and if they did not, their career would be nowhere. Now the spotlight of scandal is fallen on the brains behind the bronze. I tell you, he's slick, he's sly, he's got all the moves. This brash wrestling tycoon is accused of using his muscle to cover up the sexual corruption of his top executives, and even participating in it himself. He started to get really excited. Now it can be told, wrestling ring of bite. You know, from gorgeous George back in the 1950s to Hulk Hogan in the 1990s, tens of millions of people have had their imagination stimulated by the pseudo-sport of wrestling. But no one could have imagined what we've uncovered. Really, it's the dirty underside to this outwardly fun and flamboyant sport. As our Craig Rivera reports, these alarming allegations of a sensational sex scandal come just when wrestling has become wildly popular. And once again, from the blind side, he gets nailed by Mr. Wonderful. Look out. He's got the steel chair as well. Watch out. Merchandise like this Hulk Hogan doll in wrestling gear reportedly earned the World Wrestling Federation $1.7 billion in 1990. Add that to gate receipts for professional wrestling matches at some of the world's largest arenas, and you have a business that takes in more money annually than the NFL. What's disturbing about this scenario is that the WWF bills itself as family entertainment. Good, clean fun for the kids. But according to some former employees, the WWF is anything but wholesome. They're taking steroids. They're involved in child sex abuse. We've got allegations of... of, of of animals being hurt here and killed. This is not, this is not family entertainment. The WWF is just filth, lies, and cheaters. That's the way that company has been built on. They'll step on anybody's toes to get what they want. The WWF is run by one man, Vince McMahon Jr. McMahon is combination bulging bodybuilder and genius promoter. What he's done single-handedly is take professional wrestling out of smoke-filled rooms into family rooms, from back street to main street. But recent charges against him and his organization have threatened McMahon's empire. The most serious were raised by former ring boy Tom Cole. He says the top WWF executive sexually harassed and abused ring boys. The teenagers hired to put up and take down rings at matches. The New York Post reported the allegations and broke the story nationally. Wrestling legend Bruno Sammartino confirms Cole's allegations. The talk was on the inside 
that there were certain people within the organizations that were hiring these kids for one purpose and one purpose only. As far as wrestlers themselves, there, there was always been talk of some up-and-coming, good-looking young wrestlers who, uh, who were put in situations that if they wanted to further their career, if they wanted to advance, if they wanted to climb that ladder, that they would have to cooperate. And, and, and if they did not, then their career would be nowhere. Former wrestler Barry Orton also accuses the hierarchy of the WWF of homosexual harassment. Orton implicates two top executives, the former vice president of operations, Pat Patterson, and his former assistant, Terry Garvin, as well as ring announcer Mel Phillips. He told us that Garvin came on to him. About uh, 40 miles out of Amarillo, heading west on Interstate 40, uh, he started proposing that I allow him to perform a certain sexual task on me while I was driving. And, uh, you know, I said, no, uh, I'm not that way. What is your knowledge of the upper management of WWF using their power for sexual favors? If they saw an opportunity, they would grab it. With the ring assistants, the ring boys, I can remember in Chicago, one of the ring assistants uh, who was rather young, came up to me and asked me about Terry Garvin and uh, that he was kind of being harassed and asked for my advice on what he should do. Former WWF referee Mike Clark says Garvin also approached him in a hotel room. He said, if you want to come to the television tapings, I'll bring you to the next television tapings and I'll book you across every event in Canada. And I said, geez, that would be great. And he then said to me, he says, well, uh, how would you like to lie on the bed and uh, have me perform oral sex on you? And I'll give you $500. Clark turned Garvin down, but he says there were other approaches. They said to me that you needed a green card to come to the United States to work. And the only way that was feasible was if you became a member of what they call the cream team. Cream team? What is that supposed to mean? Well, this is uh, what they call the the ring crew, the people who set up the rings and the referees throughout the United States that are doing sexual favors for certain bosses in the World Wrestling Federation. The bosses on top of this cream team business were Terry Garvin and Pat Patterson. They were the main two, the main two culprits with this cream team, the whole issue of hiring youngsters due to getting sexual favors. Clark also named Mel Phillips calling him the sickest of the three. One story in Allentown was that uh, when uh, this, you mentioned this Mal Phillips, uh, I, I was told that when he was caught with a young boy in a car, they talked to this young boy and said, why? Why, why, why are you allowing this? And he says, well, he says, I get to go to all the TV tapings here in Allentown or Hamburg, both, both, for free. I get to meet a lot of the wrestlers they introduced me to and even take pictures with a lot of them. You know, that's why. Phillips was in charge of hiring ring crews. He allegedly lured boys as young as 12 or 13 with promises they couldn't resist. Though McMahon has gone on record saying that he wasn't aware of any child sex abuse, we have learned that he fired Phillips a few years ago because he suspected these activities. He then hired him back. They supposedly uh, care about the kids, Hogan with his the little Hulkamaniacs and the prison of items. And then on the other hand, here you, there's always been these stories about the little boys uh, being used to, for sex objects. It, it's just an unforgivable crime. And what about the man at the center of the Federation's ring, Vince McMahon? What did he know? What did he do? 
And what did he try to hide? There is no question Vince not only knew what was going on, but it certainly wouldn't be a surprise or any shock that he was involved himself. Did he cover up? And did he take part? Either I had sex with him and satisfied him, or I went nowhere and I was blacklisted. All that when we return in a moment with more of wrestling's ring of bites. Startling allegations of sex abuse have hit the world of professional wrestling harder than that body slam. And this big business, as our investigation reveals, has big problems. Craig Rivera continues his special report. I know of a, you know, few wrestlers and this and that that have, that have, you know, had their jobs that way, gotten their jobs from doing sexual favors, this and that. And I don't know if it's going to continue in the WWF. I'd like to see it not continue for the sake of the kids and everybody else involved, but, uh, you know, I just don't think it's going to stop that quick. The World Wrestling Federation has been accused of using a homosexual casting couch system for their wrestlers. There are also charges that top executives have taken young ring boys on the road with them as intimate companions. And allegations of sex being a requirement for job security have even come from wrestling announcers like Murray Hobson. In the main event, the Ultimate Warrior and Legion of Doom collide with The Undertaker and the Nasty Boys. I was fired in August, mid-August of 91, after I refused a sexual advancement from uh, Vince McMahon's buddy, the Vice President of Operations. Pat Patterson? Yeah. Tell me about that. What happened? We were at an event at the Worcester Arena, and uh, he had come up to me and uh, he said, so you're the new guy. Uh, what do you taste like? And I was really put back by it. And I told him that he had had the wrong guy. And then he told me candidly that not if I wanted to keep my job with him, I didn't. And he kept his word. Two weeks later, I was fired. I don't believe it. Referee Mike Clark worked for the WWF for three and a half years. He also learned that his job depended on his sexual availability. Either you do it or you don't. Here's your job. You want to keep your job, you do it. If you don't want to keep your job, you don't do it. Did you ever ask anyone if the reason you were not working was because you didn't perform sexual favors on Terry Garvin? Obviously, Terry Garvin or Pat Patterson or people of that nature who are, you know, second and third in command at Titan Sports are more important than a referee. So, if, you know, something happened to me. I felt it the whole time that it was due to this, that I wasn't working anymore. I really don't know what to make of it. What's shocking about this situation no is that despite his denials no on national no television, no less, McMahon uh, knew what was going on. Why would I condone this kind of activity and risk this alleged kind of revenue? Because Vince, when they fired me, I told him in my meeting, I told him straight up, Vince, your vice president came on to me at the Worcester Arena. I know this is the reason why you're firing me. He cut me off abruptly. He didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want to address the issue. He felt I was just some little peon who was just going to get kicked under the rug like everybody else who didn't do what Vince McMahon wanted them to do. If people like me and people like ev and everybody else who works in the wrestling business knows about this, the very first day I went to work full-time for the WWF back in 87, my boss told me, you know about Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin. You ever have a problem, come to me. He said to me. So if he knew, and everybody else knows, Vince McMahon isn't going to know. This is a powerful man with a lot of money who cannot stand to have anybody stand up to him and take him on. We came to the WWF headquarters here in Stamford, Connecticut to try to speak with Vince McMahon about the allegations of sexual abuse by his staff. But we were turned away by his security. I don't know what... 
I don't know. Shortly after the scandal broke, both Terry Garvin and Pat Patterson resigned from the WWF. A few days later, Mel Phillips was suspended. According to this press release, their resignations were not solicited and were accepted by the organization at their insistence. These resignations were made in an extraordinary show of loyalty by these employees to the company. Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, and a few others, or I'm not sure exactly who they were, resigned from their actual posts at the World Wrestling Federation, who'd been there for a number of years. That reeks of guilt. Sources tell now they've heard both Garvin and Patterson say they are still working for the WWF, that the resignations are just for show. I would say that uh, Pat Patterson, probably Garvin too, some way, shape, or form, they're still with the organization, still on the payroll. If I were to take an educated guess at what's going on, he's probably being paid under the table or somehow being reimbursed through another corporation or something. Just like a, a smokescreen to satisfy the public that something has been done. We've made numerous attempts to talk with Patterson, Garvin, and Phillips over the phone and in person. Mr. Patterson, can you come speak to me, please? It's Craig Rivera from Now Can Be Told. They refuse to appear on camera or answer any questions. And so far, Vince McMahon has refused all invitations to respond to these charges. Vince McMahon may not have been talking to us, but plenty of other people were. The next thing I know, Vince unzipped his pants. This woman claims McMahon told her sex was part of her job. It was worth a half a million dollars a year. Her story when we continue our investigation in a moment. An empty stadium like this one is exactly what Vince McMahon fears these charges of homosexual harassment and the sexual abuse of teenagers will bring him. So far, those charges have been leveled against various WWF officials, by wrestlers, by ring boys, by referees, and by other employees. Now one referee comes forward to point the finger directly at the ruler of the World Wrestling Federation himself, directly at Vince McMahon. And as Craig tells us, this referee is not one of the boys. This is Rita Chatterton, also known as Rita Marie, the only woman referee in professional wrestling. But now Rita Marie needs a referee of her own for a different kind of bout with Vince McMahon himself. He promised me the world. You know, he's, how are you going to feel the first time you walk down past a newsstand and see your face on Time magazine? Um, there's all kinds of money to be made here. You know, you're looking at like a half a million dollar a year contract and on and on and on. Rita Marie is the only player in the WWF scandal to level charges of sexual harassment directly at McMahon. And things started happening, you know, suddenly, you know, like I said, I'm referring in Madison Square Garden, I'm referring on television. Um, I'm doing in talk shows, TNT, which was Tuesday Night Titan, a, a interview talk show. Um, he did a four-page layout on me in the WWF magazine, and things were really starting to happen. But Rita Marie claims that catering to McMahon's sexual desires became a condition of her employment, beginning when she approached McMahon about getting more work. I got into the limo, and we started talking, and he started telling me that... Um, yeah, he had really neglected doing something with my career, and it was really time that uh, Rita Marie came to be. And the next thing I know, Vince unzipped his pants, and he took my hand, and he kept putting my hand on his, on his penis. He started telling me that uh, he knew I didn't have a job. I had left Frito-Lay because of him. He knew that I had a daughter 
and that he could either make me or break me. The choice was mine. And he made me have oral sex with And he started to get really excited. And I pulled away and he got really angry and said that it was worth a half a million dollars a year. And when I said no, he said that I'd better satisfy him. And he started pulling my pants off. And he pulled me on top of him. And he satisfied himself through intercourse. Afterwards, Rita Marie said she worked for the WWF only three or four more times. And the single mother of a teenage daughter says she kept silent about McMahon's advances for almost six years. I held off for a long time because of my parents. Both of my parents were very ill. My mother died a year ago. My father died two weeks ago. Between not having to worry about my parents' health and with other people coming forward, God, I just hope somebody listens. Rita says she is trying to reach an out-of-court compensation settlement with McMahon, perhaps inspired by the success of another WWF employee. Tom Cole. Cole was the ring boy who sparked the whole sex scandal when he threatened to sue the WWF for sexual harassment. Vince McMahon found out about this scandal before it had an opportunity to get to court. What he did do was rehire Cole with the promotion and back pay rumored to be in the neighborhood of $70,000. That surprised me because in a conversation I had with Cole, he told me he would never work with the WWF again. I can't show you that exclusive interview with Cole because we were threatened with legal action by Cole's attorneys. They pointed out that we agreed to air the interview after his suit was filed. As we told you, it never was and never will be. That threat of legal action was the start of what has become a giant wrestling match between now it can be told and the World Wrestling Federation. For all of you know what I'm talking about. I sure do, Craig. Here are just some of dozens of pages of legal documents, allegations, threats, and bluster sent our way in an attempt to scare us all and prevent this investigation from airing. I'll tell you much more about the power and the fury of the World Wrestling Federation when we return in a moment. I characterized the many letters and faxes sent by lawyers for the WWF as threats and bluster. In fairness to the WWF, though, you have to understand their concern. Allegations of teenage sexual abuse certainly can't help business when so much of the audience is comprised of children. Ironically, although they did prevent us from running the Thomas Cole interview, the affidavit filed for that effect by Thomas Cole and his lawyers provides perhaps the best evidence of precisely the kind of abuse this young man experienced. I'll quote from it. The interviews contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse I sustained between the ages of 13 and 19. Most of it between the ages of 13 and 16. This abuse has left me emotionally scarred, end quote. There is also no doubt that this investigation has scarred the already controversial reputation of the WWF. And there is no lawyer on this planet that can stop me from saying that. That's it for now. I'm Geraldo Rivera. Now, the same week that this aired, there was a WWF event that took place, and Roddy Piper was there to do a Piper's Pit. 
And over the years, there has been a report, well, numerous reports, that at this house show, Roddy Piper did a... Some people have called it rambling. I think Meltzer wrote it as rambling. I think some others called it very, uh, you know, unorthodoxed. Some people said it was just an odd Piper's pit. But um, we've never heard it. It's people have always, if you go check online, I mean, for like 20 years. Oh, I got to hear it. I got to hear it. No, there's no footage. It was never released. It's blah, 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 blah. Because Roddy Piper made disparaging marks about Geraldo actually mentioned WWF wrestles, as you heard in the beginning of this episode, actually acknowledging that some WWF stars were in scandal. You know, Vince was not happy with this Piper's pit. Now, Roddy Piper ultimately would interview the Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi. And honestly, with all due respect to the Brooklyn Brawler, he was terrible. I mean, he was not good. He was okay in the ring, but his mic skills, I never liked it, never got into it. You know, when people say to me, you know, like, who was really overrated? Uh, Steve Lombardi, as Steve Lombardi in matches, was decent. But when they tried to really elevate him as the Brooklyn Brawler, the gimmick is fun, and it's even more fun when you go to certain states as the Brooklyn Brawler. But I never was into him on the mic. I met him a couple of times. Captain Ivan used to be, I don't like saying coffee gopher, but anybody that goes back to the hotline days, you'll know who I'm talking about. You know, Captain Ivan used to do work for Steve Lombardi, and uh, he was a nice guy behind the scenes. But I just never got into the Brooklyn Brawler character. But this Piper's Pit led to him interviewing the Brooklyn Brawler, which went on for like three or four minutes. It was not good. So, unfortunately, I am not including the segment that involved Piper with the Brooklyn Brawler. But I will tell you that about a year ago, maybe a little bit less than that, WWF came out with another one of their unreleased DVDs that shows footage of matches and segments that were never released to the public. And sure enough, hidden in this release that nobody talks about is that Piper's Pit. I bring you the Piper's Pit that took place literally 48 hours after Geraldo's Now It Can Be Told aired on television. As a special treat for all of you great Toledo fans here tonight, we want to thank you with this very special segment here to conduct Piper's Pit. Rudy! Rudy! Championship to Bret Hart, fair and square too. He has one great champion, Bret Hart. It's no lie. <laughs> I did try my best. <laughs> so all of a sudden, what I was going to do 
Says, I was going to go home. It's jet ski season. I like to jet ski. I figured my time, and they asked me if I'd do some Piper's Pits. I said to myself, in doing these pits, you know, well, now I'm excluding you folks. Just a second. Excluding in doing these pits, if we're going to do them, I want everybody in the whole house to have as much fun as I do. Because let me tell you how these were invented. The bottom line is we got, what do we got? We got Mike Tyson in jail. We got Buster Douglas busted for drunk driving. We got half the WWF wrestlers in a scandal. Now you don't get much more honest than that. We got Geraldo down on us. Now, Geraldo, let me just set you straight on something in case you're watching this one. Geraldo, you know the guy that's so proud of his Mexican heritage? Well, when he started, he used to call himself Johnny Rivers. Yeah. Figure it out, right? Right, Geraldo. Yeah. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> but that's okay. Because you know everybody makes mistakes. So what Piper's Pit's gonna be about this time is a little audience participation because we're tired of liars. So what I want you to do, first of all, is anytime, anytime, I got somebody up here, I don't give a doggone who it is. If these folks, anybody thinks they're lying, I want you to start going hoo, 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 and I want you to drive them crazy. Hoo, hoo, hoo. The more they lie, the more you hoo. Now, if they ain't lying, let them go, because we want to find out the truth about some stuff. So what we're here for is we're here for honesty and truth, and I don't need a job, so I'm here just for fun. And I want you to have fun too. So let's start with our first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, from Brooklyn, New York. Uh -huh. Here he is, the Brooklyn Brawler. That same week in 1993, Ultimate Warrior was in Germany for Bob Yuri's World Wrestling Superstars Group. He defended his WWS title against Hercules. Other people on that card, Medusa, the Warlord, Butch Reed, the Youngbloods, Greg Valentine, Jake the Snake Roberts. This was during the time that Ultimate Warrior was not in the WWF. If you remember, he left in 92 and came back in 95. So he did still perform sporadically in 1993. What's really, really cool about it, and honestly, I was going to play the audio, but you got to see the video. Go out of your way and see it. There is a German television show at that time. I think it's called Gottschalk. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But anyway, they actually had Jake the Snake Roberts and the Ultimate Warrior on that show. And the footage of their appearance in Germany on this talk show is on YouTube. And it's interesting because the Ultimate Warrior is holding a sword for some reason. Jake the Snake Roberts has his snake. Uh, Ultimate Warrior pulls off his shirt and starts flexing to the audience. And 
It's an interesting clip, and I guarantee you 99% of you out there have never seen it. So if you want to go seek it out, it is online. Ultimate Warrior, Jake Roberts, German TV, 93. If you do that search on YouTube, you'll find it. Speaking of 1993, Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, was on John Arezzi's radio show. Uh, and at that time, you remember, this was right in the heels of when a lot of us became ECW fans. But at this week in 1993, Paul E. Dangerously was talking about his involvement in a new wrestling promotion uh, headed up by Jim Hudson in Austin, Texas. So they were going to start doing tapings, I believe, in June. And, you know, I, I know some of John Arezzi's shows from the early 90s are floating around. So I believe the audio from this interview is out there. So you might be interested. I know some of you out there would, would get a kick out of it. And this week in 1993, my favorite match that ever took place on WCW Saturday night. At WCW Saturday night, obviously was not as, um, they had to be careful with their ratings because it was, you know, Saturday evening. Yes, it was cable television. It was syndication. But still, WCW Saturday night was not as good as Monday Nitro, which, you know, wasn't around in 93. But still, Saturday night was like, you know, watching WWF Championship Wrestling or Superstars. You would have its controversial moments here and there, but... This week in 1993 was a match that aired between Vader and Cactus Jack. What's cool about it is, is that Mick Foley has like a personal video collection of his matches. And online there is some unaired uh, clips of this match that for some reason didn't make TV. They're in Mick Foley's collection and he uh, made it available for the public. You watch this match between Vader and Cactus Jack it is physical, brutal. You just, the punch, believe me when I say this, when I say this is my favorite match of all time, obviously it's a little disturbing to see how some of this violence went down. But all I'm going to say to you is that every single one of you listening, if you've never seen this match, go seek it out. I actually, on my Twitter, at Don Tony D, I put up a link for the match itself, and I actually put the exact timestamp just to see one of the punches that Vader threw to Cactus Jack. Just look at it. it. Is really, some people call it sickening. I mean, it's just brutal, physical, and go out of your way to see it. If you're a fan of either one of them two and you've never seen the match or you forgot about it, go seek it out. This week in 1994, the USWA debuted a tag team that we had not heard about um, and at this time was still looked at as not good at all. Uh, it featured a wrestler by the name of Perry Saturn, and they were called the Eliminators. Obviously, they would improve by leaps and bounds by the time everybody got familiar with that tag team. Also, this same week, All Japan Pro Wrestling announces that they uh, the the negotiations between them and Tanya Harding have fallen through. A lot of you have no idea, probably don't even know this exists. But when Tanya Harding had that scandal with Nancy Kerrigan in early 1994, All Japan Pro Wrestling was trying to ink Tanya Harding to become a women's wrestler and actually wrestle up to 50 dates. For the year 
Now, there's been rumors that the contract was worth almost $2 million. Some other places say 400000 but the, they were negotiating. It was a big news item in 1994, and it was this week that it was announced that the uh, negotiations fell through. And we did not see Tanya Harding as a regular women's wrestler. She actually managed Art Bar, the late Art Bar, in one match, I believe, in 1994. And I think she might have recently made an appearance at a wrestling event as well. But back in 94, they were seriously trying to get her to work regular time as a women's wrestler. She was just so hated at that time. Holy shit. And finally, to wrap up 1994, WCW presented Spring Stampede on pay-per-view. I'm mentioning this card because uh, there was a horrendous, piss-poor, pathetic, garbage, dark match that took place that is infamous. Danny Bonaducci defeated Christopher Knight from the Brady Bunch. I mean, yeah, it was a bullshit match, and it was, you know, comedy, and it was really, gar. you know, it wasn't taken seriously. But, you know, people that were there said that it was just so embarrassing. You know, you do sometimes have little spots before an event airs. You might have a local DJ or a politician or somebody will get involved. They don't know what the fuck they're doing, but it's supposed to be for whatever. But they were saying that Christopher Knight was laughing all throughout it. It was just... Horrible, drizzling shits. I mean, seriously, drizzling shits. Now we go to 1996. Last week, we talked about Brian Pillman's near-death auto accident that left him with serious injuries in the hospital. Well, it was one week later, this week in 1996, that he was released from the hospital. A lot more details came out regarding his accident the plastic surgery that he had to repair bone fractures in his face, fractured cheekbone, dislocated jaw, something about the fact that because he was wearing like this heavy Harley biker's jacket, that that actually may have saved his life in some way. He did not wear his seatbelt, and if he would have wore his seatbelt, they said that he would have died. He would have been crushed inside the vehicle. It is just when you really read the details surrounding this accident, it is just, it's unbelievable that he ever returned at all. And I'm going to jump ahead one year just for a moment because it was almost one year to the day that Brian Pillman made his return in the WWF. You know, he showed up, gone, showed up. Same thing with ECW. You know, we still haven't talked about the infamous incident between him and New Jack took place in ECW. That'll be coming up on upcoming episodes. We'll talk about it when that week in history comes about. So so Pillman was released from the hospital and uh, his road to recovery starts. That same week in 1996, the first big time, I guess you could call, lesbian moment in wrestling history. Uh, this took place in ECW. It was a memorable moment where they had a, a moment in the ring where you had Beulah McGillicuddy, I believe, on Tommy Dreamer's right. You had Kimona on Tommy Dreamer's left. And, you know, I have a 50-50 chance of being right. Maybe Kimona was on. So it doesn't matter. Tommy Dreamer's right in the middle between Beulah and Kimona. And, you know, they were in a storyline where Tommy Dreamer was going with Beulah McGillicuddy. She had turned on Raven. And basically... Tommy Dreamer gets on the mic. I even think uh, 
Shane Douglas was interviewing Tommy Dreamer. And they kind of like tease, like, which one is he going to go with? And he says, I'm hardcore. I can, I'll take both of them. And he kisses one. He kisses the other. And then both Beulah and Kimona did a very long lesbian kiss. And is that the video? You know what? I'm drawing a little blank right now because I'm doing this really early Saturday morning right now. But, you know, I went to ECW events all the time when they were in existence. I'm talking about the original ECW. I remember there was one card where it did not air on television. I don't remember if it was because of Sandman's crucifixion or if it was the lesbian kiss. For some reason, I'm leaning towards the lesbian kiss. But I remember that Madison Square Garden, the Prime Network, did not air the an episode of ECW TV. As a result, if you went to the next ECW shows, Paul Heyman gave everybody a free VHS tape of the episode that did not air. I actually have that VHS tape stored away in a box somewhere because I went to ECW event and they gave, they handed it out to everyone. So, you know, I'm sure after this episode's over, if I remember, I'll do some searching and I'll get my answer. But if anybody out there uh, was an ECW fan like me at that time, let me know if that was the, the episode. For some reason, I'm thinking, yes, it was the lesbian kiss. But that took place this week in 1996. 1997, Sumi Sakai makes her pro wrestling debut. She loses in her debut match against Megumi Yabushita in Korokan Hall in Tokyo, Japan, for Yoshinoto's Women's Pro Wrestling. And, you know, I got to compliment myself. I don't know if people have noticed this, but I've been really, really working hard to make sure that I pronounce everybody's names correctly. You know, sometimes you get a little tongue-tied here and there, but between Japanese wrestling, you know, other countries, some of the pronunciation is challenging at times. So I've really been working hard to make sure when I mention everyone's names, I do it correctly. If I do make a mistake here and there, I apologize. Definitely note it out to me, but, you know, I've been really trying hard. So 1998, Goldberg defeated Raven to win the WCW United States title. One of my favorite Goldberg WCW matches of all time. Not only did the match really deliver, but I remember the crowd that night. The crowd made it even more fun. Sometimes crowd reaction, you you didn't have chance that night other than Goldberg, but it was a really fun night. And uh, go, go seek it out if you've never seen that match. That same night, Hogan defeated Savage to win the World Heavyweight title. The big buzz around this on Nitro was Bret Hart turning. I think, what is it, Brother Brutai was in the ring as well, and Bret Hart hit him, and then he, uh, I think, interfered and pulled Hogan onto Savage for the one, two, three. That same week in 1998, Sable at a house show in Hershey, Pennsylvania. She was doing a cat fight with Luna Vachon, and referee Tim White was supposed to break up the cat fight. And in doing so, he accidentally stepped on Sable's foot and she broke her toe in three places. 
Yeah. I'm trying to find little stories, little tidbits here and there that you may have never heard. You know, I was something that people have been asking me the last couple of weeks. Last week is really when I started it. And you will see that influence with some various news tidbits and stories that I bring up in the shows in the future. I have a couple today that you obviously wouldn't ever hear. And I, I wonder if anybody even knew about that story. So now, same year, 1998, we go to Scott Steiner. And I actually... If you know where to look, you can find it. Online, you can still find a police report. You can still find all the court documents. You, you know, it's sad because, and I've brought this up before, some courts out there really are careless as far as putting documentation online. You're supposed to censor out social security numbers. There's certain do- information you're supposed to censor out. And as I searched and pulled this information just to see what the outcome was, what he actually, because the reports over the years are not exactly accurate, you know, as far as what he was legitimately convicted of and this and that. But when I was pulling court documents, here I'm reading Scott Steiner's social security number, and there was some information there that I was like, you know, they're supposed to block the shit out. I don't even know if he realizes it's out there. But anyway, this is what happened. This week in 1998, Scott Steiner was arrested. On the synopsis, you'll see his mugshot. Yes, he was wearing an NWO shirt at the time. That is true. What happened was he was driving in Georgia. And he was on a particular road at around 1.30 in the afternoon. He was driving his truck. And apparently the, uh, the lane that Scott Steiner was in was closed. Okay. Now, I don't understand why Scott Steiner couldn't have just drove like to an alternate lane or go to. But for some reason, Scott Steiner stops his vehicle, gets out of the vehicle and someone by the name of Paul Casparine, who worked for the Georgia Department of Transportation at the time. He was directing traffic and Scott Steiner uh, is told by this DOT worker that the lane was closed. Scott Steiner gets out of his pickup and tells him to move out of the way. Steiner gets back in his vehicle, creeps up a little bit more, and he says to the guy, move or I will run you over. So the guy's trying to be nice, and he's like, sir, the lane is closed. And there are clips, you know, the actual quotes in the court documents. That's where I'm getting this. And he's like, sir, the lane is closed. And Scott Steiner was heard to be saying, move or I will run you over. And the DOT workers basically like, look, I'm not trying to give you a hard time. And then all of a sudden, Scott Steiner proceeds anyway, actually clips the guy twice. And then uh, they called the police and he was arrested. So when Scott Steiner appeared before the judge, he was going to plead guilty to making terroristic threats. That was the plea. And from what I understand and from what I read, that the DA's office recommended five years probation, pay a restitution of $2,676, and because Scott Steiner was a first offender, that if he completes the five-year probation and pays that fine, that this will be stricken from his record because he's a first offender. So now they have this plea agreement. Plead guilty, 
Terroristic threats, five years probation, $2,700 of restitution, done. Get stricken from your record. If you serve out the probation, don't have any more incidents. The judge starts talking to Steiner and apparently does not like what Steiner hears. Now, there's a little bit of a dispute if if Scott Steiner started saying that he's not guilty of terroristic threats, but one thing that Steiner kept saying is he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't try to run the guy over. The guy actually was blocking his way, and the judge did not like Steiner's answer. So what does the judge do? He withdraws the plea agreement. If Steiner would have simply pled guilty and not say anything else, he would have had five years probation, $2,700 in restitution fees, and it would have been removed from his record. So instead, what ends up happening, I might as well give you the outcome now. They go back to court, March of 1999, and here's what Scott Steiner ended up getting. He had to spend five weekends in a Cherokee County jail. He was given seven-year probation for aggravated assault. He was also given five years probation for making the terroristic threats. He was ordered to pay $23,050 in fines, restitution, and legal fees. He had to perform 200 hours of community service. And this is the kicker. I don't know if this was enforced or not. I'm not saying it was or it wasn't. But there was a a list of agreements that Scott Steiner had to abide to. And trust me, this is straight from court documents. I did my own research. And... One of the agreements is that Scott Steiner shall not take into his body any substance prohibited or controlled by any law in the state of Georgia or the United States except pursuant of a physician's prescription. And the prescription has to be presented to the probation officer for approval before he could take it. So basically any controlled substance, any substance, nothing illegal and anything else now, I'm not talking about, you know, antibiotic, but I'm talking about, you know, something, you know, controlled substance. He would have, it'd have to be by a doctor and he would have to give it to a probation officer before he could even take it. So didn't work out the way I, I'm sure Scott Steiner thought it would. Wrapping up 1998, it was this week on Thunder that Buff Bagwell suffered a very serious neck injury. It was in a tag match. Basically, what happened was Rick Steiner had bulldogged Bagwell off a rope. I don't know if it was the middle rope or the top rope, but but Bagwell's head uh, got jammed into Rick Steiner's side, and then it was almost like a whiplash move. The match ended. Buff Bagwell was trying to tell people in the ring that he was seriously injured. Originally, could not move his arms and his legs. Uh, crowd went dead silent, and uh, for about 15 minutes, they basically had to attend to Buff Bagwell. So say what you want, whether you liked him or disliked him as a wrestler over the years, you never want to see anybody injured. And as a result from that night, he suffered damaged vertebrae, spinal shock, and he would be in a wheelchair for an extended amount of time. Um, you know, it's some people over the years in interviews had said that he might have milked his injuries a little bit more. I, I don't care. This, we're talking about history here, and it was still a very scary moment, and, you know, the the incident was real. I mean, Buff Bagger was legitimately injured, so. Now we go to year 2000. Now, last week, we talked about Mike Awesome as ECW champion, 
showing up on Nitro and attacking Kevin Nash. Last week, we talked about the agreement between WCW and ECW to basically have certain things said on Nitro. It was supposed to plug ECW's next uh, event where Mike Awesome was going to be defending the belt. And uh, things went a little awry. You know, certain things were not said, you know, pretty much how it was supposed to. So they made history. Mike Awesome agreed to drop the title. So last week we recapped Taz, who was a WWF contracted wrestler at the time, defeated uh, a WCW contracted wrestler on ECW. So Taz was your heavyweight champion. So one week later, we go into now where Taz is still the heavyweight champ, and we all knew that Taz was not going to be keeping the belt all that long. The big question is, is who is he going to drop it to? So we now know that Taz dropped the title to Tommy Dreamer. That made Tommy Dreamer ECW Heavyweight Champ for the first time. And it was a very emotional moment. Everybody who went to CyberSlam watched it on TV like I did. We all knew that Taz was dropping the belt, but it was a cool moment to see Tommy Dreamer get it. Yes, we also saw Raven hug Tommy Dreamer, which, you know, I mean, you got to... It had you had to have endured the entire feud between them two. It, yes, it was a real emotional moment, but you know some people weren't that thrilled. Just like I said, people weren't that thrilled of Sabu and Taz hugging after their barely legal match. If you look at the crowd, you'll see what I'm talking about. But anyway, at that time, any longtime listener goes back to my hotline days knows the phrase that I used to say: the Triple H show. It was around this time where Triple H really was just like. I don't want to use the graveyard reference, but if you know what I'm talking about, the the photo has surfaced over the last couple of years. Triple H was dominating everything at this time. And, you know, they decided to incorporate Triple H in this storyline with uh, Taz being heavyweight champ. Now, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but this is going to recap more than anything the way Triple H was utilized in the year 2000, which is why people were a little bit annoyed at the way he was being shoved down everybody's throats. Now, look, oh, I'm not talking. I'm talking strictly at this time in the year 2000. What has happened since then is a whole different story, and I give enough praise to Triple H where it's deserved. But before we even encounter Taz and Triple H and Taz and Tommy Dreamer and Tommy Dreamer and somebody else. We have to first get into Raw. It was this week in 2000 on Raw that we have a confrontation between Chris Jericho and Triple H. Now, just to set this up a little bit, recent weeks, Chris Jericho is really, you know, bad-mouthing Stephanie, who is quote-unquote married to Triple H. Also over the past bunch of weeks, Earl Hepner, referee Earl Hepner, does not like the way he is being treated by the McMahon-Helmsley era. So now you got to think of Earl Hepner not being treated the way he wants to and Chris Jericho also running his mouth towards Stephanie. So we open up Monday Night Raw with a confrontation. Now, I'm not going to play Triple H's promo that opened up, but it's basically Triple H in the ring with Shane McMahon and Stephanie and Chris Jericho comes out. 
Welcome to Raw is Jericho! Maybe the last time we hear him say that. And it seems that Y2J is in hot water yet again. Yeah, keep opening your big mouth. Last week, I was punished for calling Stephanie McMahon Helmsley a bargain basement slut. Oh my God. And I also called her the filthiest, dirtiest, most disgustingly skankiest, brutal, bottom-feeding trash bag hoe I had ever... There, he's doing it again! What's wrong ...seen with in my life! Is he crazy? So I came out here tonight to apologize. I think it's too late for that. I guess he's got nothing to lose. I came mind. to apologize to all of the bargain basement sluts. What? And to all of the filthy, disgusting, dirty, skanky, brutal, bottom-feeding, trash bag hoes. I apologize for even comparing you to the miserable slime ball pig that is Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. So I apologize for offending anybody with the exception of Steffi, baby. JR, I, I, I'm in shock. He's crazy. A real husband defends the honor of his wife. Hey, Drake, I got a damn thing to lose here, King. It's life. Stephanie looks perfect lady how valiant and touching it is Triple H that you've come down for the honor of your wife I mean that's really touching but I think if you think she's really special and you want to really impress her I think you should put that title on the line what? she's got to be a non-title matchup I think that's a good I idea. think you what? should make no. this match tonight for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. No, no, wait a minute. This is for Stephanie's honor. That's all. He's nuts. What are you doing? You want a shot at this? You want wait, this? Wait a minute. You're wrong. Come on. Oh, that's what I just said. You're wrong. So now the match is set. Chris Jericho versus Triple H for the heavyweight title. Chris Jericho brings out the Acolytes, the APA, for protection to make sure nobody interferes in the match. And look, there are a lot of interviews that Chris Jericho has talked over the years explaining his disgruntledness with WWF at that time on how this was proposed to him and the conversation that he had had with, uh, I think it was Rey Mysterio or Eddie Guerrero, might have been both of them, you know, just basically telling him, you know, stick it out, things will work out. And a lot of people feel, although I hated this at the time, I was so goddamn pissed off. If you think AWA and how they trolled fans with Hulk Hogan, this is how it felt that night, if there's any way to compare it. 
Looking back on history, this might have been one of the best things to have happened to Chris Jericho at that time. Here is the match in progress. Chris Jericho versus Triple H for the heavyweight title. For the WWF title. See, this is what happens on live TV. Triple H didn't know what he was doing. Oh, this is bad. Triple H shot. Oh, dropped toe hold by, by Jericho beating the game to a punch. Triple H has been taken right out of his rhythm by the challenger. Right, he's got to worry about those acolytes interfering at any moment. Get him off there. Acolytes menacing presence on the outside for this match. Allies of, of YTJ Chris Jericho. Crab chanting for Jericho, the challenger for the WWF title. Yeah. Oh man, what back body drop over the top rope, all the way to the floor, and the acolytes. Hey, I think that was smart by Triple H. Maybe he could get counted out here. Y2J can't win on the count. Oh, look out. Oh, oh yeah. Jericho looking for the baseball slide. Didn't get it, but he sure got the right hand from the game. He was out at home. Yeah. <laughs> What a thunderous right hand by the WWF champion with his title on the line. I'm going to tell you something. These acolytes are causing a lot of trouble out here. They've already made Shane run. Get in there. 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 I'm going to tell you something, I got a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach, JR. This is not good at all. Jericho has taken the game completely out of his game. <laughs> it's not fair at all. He, he got to Triple H in the pit. There you go. Triple H hanging Jericho out to dry on the top rope. Oh. And Jericho again. And trying to mount some offense, but it's, it's, it's the WWF champion. I don't even know how the game can concentrate. He's having to worry about those stupid acolytes. Because Jericho's got him in his hip pocket. And now the game getting back in control here. There you go. Perhaps for the first time in this entire contest, Focus. the WWF champion has the advantage. Stay focused, Triple H. Hard right hands right to the face of Jericho, who has baited the game into putting the WWF title on the line here live on Raw. The referee needs to back off. Give Triple H some breathing room there. Then you got to admit, Jericho's very clever. How can you call somebody clever? He didn't have a title match when he came out here. Yeah, but he He's in one now. That's he right. referred to Triple H's wife as a, as a hoe. That's not too clever if you ask me. Look at this. Yeah. The game measuring Jericho found that elbow right in his esophagus. Shut his mouth once and for all. You know, King, Triple H came out here to defend the honor of his wife. Oh, 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 Jericho blocked. Yeah. champion's head bounced right off the table and now the challenger met with a kick to the face good man what a match this is this is and it's continuing to build and build for the wwe what a collision jericho's body and the steel ring steps that may have done it jericho is an amazing an amazing athlete that quite frankly at least in my view has outsmarted the game in, in getting this title match. It was supposed to be a non-title match. Right. That's what it was signed earlier today. 
As I told you, that's what happens on live TV. Triple H, you got, you got caught up in the emotions. Speaking of emotions, this is for you, Stephanie. Yes. Triple H dropping that knee straight south. Right to the forehead of Jericho. There's a cover. Got it. Oh, oh, I'm near fall. Feel and see the frustration building on the WWF champion, Triple H. What, what match are you watching? I think Triple H has got everything under control, but I guess I got to hand it to Jericho. He is taking a lot of punishment. Look at his mouth. Ooh. Jericho, has, his lip has been busted open from this savage attack what happened by when the game. That's what Triple H. Knock all his teeth out. I agree with that, King. Why 2 j can't call people names with no teeth? Remember what the game did to the Rock? One week ago tonight, The Rock busted wide open, literally from ear to ear, at the hands of the game. Get on! Stay on! We know what the game can do. And now with the WWF title on the line, he perhaps is even in a more desperate state. He didn't need any more motivation, JR, after what Y2J called his wife. Stephanie, look out! All he's trying to do is defend his wife's honor. Any man worth assault would do that, JR. I agree with that. Oh! Well, knocked down by the challenger for the WWF title. Jericho now, again, seems to be building some offensive momentum. Not but, now. but it's countered by the game. Oh. And the countered by Jericho. What a matchup. Here on Raw. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Missed a drop kick for the second row. Good be all. Good be all. JR, I just had a horrible thought. What if, what if Y2J were to upset Triple H? What would, what would happen then? He'd be the WWF champion. Oh, come on. Triple H smoked the pedigree. Uh oh, Jericho counters. No! Jericho, look at the ball of Jericho. His submission move. Somebody do something. Triple H is trying to find out. Stephanie! Shane! Jericho can't quite get the game turned. Because he is the game. Again, Jericho. Yes. Triple H is gone. He lost half his backup. Triple H is down. Stephanie. Triple H is down. Stephanie. Jericho's got the cover. He's got the pin. But there's no referee. firestorm in, in recent in recent weeks with he's, the McMahon-Helmsley regime. He's on probation. He's not supposed to be out here. Face buster by the game. 
taking down Jericho. Referee Mike Kilda is still down. Jericho, oh, look at this. Look at this. Triple H just realized who's in the ring with him. Jericho had the championship won there just uh -oh. moments ago. And Earl Hebner is not going to take this physical abuse. He cannot put his hands on the WWF champion. Spinning heel kick by Jericho. Jericho <laughs> scores in the moonshot. So now you heard the match, and you're probably saying to yourself, DT, why did you just say that you hated that night and you felt that you were trolled, like Vern Gagne trolled the fans with Hogan and EWA? Well, after this match happened, we were shown in the back, in the locker room, Triple H is yelling at Earl Hepner and referees. And what they do is, uh, I think Shane McMahon grabs Mike Chioda, Triple H grabs Earl Hepner. They drag him back out to the ring, and this goes down. I was screwed. Earl Hebner jobbed me out. You saw it. The world saw it. What do I do? Now, I want your unbiased professional opinion of what you just saw. Did I get screwed or not? He's the official referee for this match. Oh, that was a fast count. Yes, it was. You screwed Triple H. Got him. You screwed Triple H. You, that was a fast count. Thank God one of them was right. That was a fast count. All right, Mike, go. Thank you very much. Uh-oh, now what? Change him down. Now, you heard that? Jericho's still the champion. It was a fast count. The official referee of that match said, you screwed me. Now, Earl, I want you in front of the whole world and in front of these idiots here to tell everybody that you shut the hell up, that you are going to reverse that decision. Yes, that's what he needs to do. That I am the World Wrestling Federation Champion, that that match with Chris Jericho never took place. These people didn't see a damn thing. It will be stricken from the record books. It never, ever happened. Never happened? Of course it happened. Earl, reverse that decision now. What's he gonna do, JR? Will he reverse it? Come on, Earl. You know it's right. 
This is going to be bad. Earl Henry's going to get hurt bad. Look, look out. Maybe he's come to his senses. Say something. I'll reverse the decision. He will? He will? On one term. What's that? What's, it's a term. That, What's that? That is nobody touches me. It's, what? It, as long as I'm a WWF referee, as long as my life, and that goes for you. You and you better never put your damn hands on me again. Did he say he's going to reverse the decision though? Let me get this straight. You'll reverse the decision as long as while you're a World Wrestling Federation official, we never ever harm you or touch you again. Yeah, don't even lay a hand right? on it. Very sad. Never. Then you've got a deal. So I'll tell you what. Are you going to reverse that decision? Yes, I am. Then you go back there right now and you get my World Wrestling Federation Championship belt from around the waist of that sawed-off midget Chris Jericho. You bring it back out here and give it to me in the middle of this ring and do it now. Man, Don't this touch is... him. Don't touch him, whatever you do. Hey, this is history in the making. Don't this touch is... him, Stephanie. This has never happened before. What? What do you mean? A referee reverses the decision of his of crap go... You didn't see a damn thing. But nothing of this magnitude has ever transpired. Everybody here knows, everybody around the world knows, Chris Jericho is not even in my league. It never even happened, JR. Jericho's wearing the WWF title because he just beat Triple H. Shut the hell up. So you're telling me, Triple H, that I have to give up the World Wrestling Federation title because that match never took place? That's right. You're telling me I have to give up the World Wrestling Federation title because these Jericho-holics never saw me beat you in the middle of that ring for this championship. It didn't happen. Well, I guess we can all believe that. I believe it. And so I guess it's also not true that your wife, Stephanie, has not slept with half the boys in that locker room either. What? My God. I guess we can't believe that either, huh? What's he trying to do, commit suicide? Idiot. Jericho has relinquished the WWF title. Can't say that about Stephanie McMahon. Help me. Well, even though Earl Hammer maybe was a little... Uh, maybe a little fast count, but there was no count. It never happened. Never took place. No, Earl, that's not good enough. I want you to put it around my waist where it belongs. Oh, come on. Go on, Hebner, do your job. His job is to officiate, not dress the champion. Don't touch him, don't touch him. 
There you go. Finally makes himself useful. I can't believe what we're seeing. I can't believe what we didn't see. I didn't see anything earlier. Never even happened. And neither did you, JR. <laughs> All I see is Triple H jail. Before you go, I want to talk about our little deal we made. You're right. Hey, I'm a man of my word, Earl. And as long as you are a World Wrestling Federation official, nobody, not Shane, not Vince, not Steph, not even myself, will ever lay a hand on you again. I promise you that, okay? Oh, yeah, but there's one other thing I forgot to tell you, Earl. Your ass is fired! What? Fired? Hey, come on! He's got a family! Fired! Shane McMahon assaulting Earl Hamner, and now look at the double team! Well, he's no longer a WWF official! Well, that's just not right! He's a human being! He's fair game! He doesn't deserve this! Oh, stop that! Pedigree! No! For the love of doom! Earl Hamner's been fired and assaulted! So now we go off the air on Raw with Triple H still as champion. We're not enjoying a lot of the way that he's being utilized on TV, and we lead to SmackDown. So now Taz is the ECW heavyweight champion. A lot of people forget that SmackDown took place where else? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So Triple H opens up SmackDown, cuts a promo, and is interrupted by Taz, which leads to a match. Here's Taz's promo confronting Triple H. Tonight, in this very ring. Oh boy, here we go. Uh-oh. It will be none other than the Ayatollah of Butthola, what? Chris Jericho. <laughs> Butthola! Going one-on-one with the people's champ, The Rock. Wow! Jericho versus The Rock, that's good! Oh, but I forgot to mention that it will be a lumberjack match. Uh-oh! And those lumberjacks are right now, at this very moment, being carefully hand-selected by none other than my brother-in-law, oh. your brother, Shane McMahon. Now, how fair is this going to be, Shane handpicking the Lumberjacks? Give me a break. So as it goes, never fear. The McMahon-Helmsley regime is in complete control. We are taking care of business. And read my lips. There will be no more bad Days. Read oh, his Triple lips. H better hope not. Read his lips. After what he went through. Wait a minute. What's this? King, that's, that's Taz's music. I know that. But I mean, what's this? What's he doing out here? I have no idea. Taz is the ECW champion. Won the championship on a day off last week.
fuck out of here. Is that right, champ? You know, it's good to see that you're in such a pleasant mood. But the mood is about to change. Oh, please. You know, you run around here like you got everything under control. All your bases covered. But when I say you open that big mouth of yours just a little bit wider and take a bite out of something you can't swallow. You can't talk that way to the WWF champion. What is he talking about? And you ain't got to put that title on a line. All you gotta do is lace them up real tight, get in that ring, and find out why they call me the human wrecking machine. Taz is challenging Triple H. You want a piece of me? Tonight, you got it. Wow. Oh, man. You bring that little belt you got around your waist. What does that stand for? ECW or something? Extremely, uh, well, you know. Well, Jack, understand this. You step in the ring with me tonight. This is the World Wrestling Federation. And I am gonna prove to the world I am gonna prove to you, and I am gonna prove to every one of these idiots that was just chanting those three letters that ECW sucks. Woohoo! Man! I've known that for years, but uh. Well, I'll tell you what, big time, from one champion to another champion, get prepared to be choked out. And by the way, you call yourself the game? I don't play games. Okay, tonight it's Triple H versus Taz, and I believe this is history in the making. King, the first time ever one champ from one organization goes one-on-one with the WWF champion. ECW champion against the game, WWF champ. Wow. Now, I totally get why some people would be annoyed. Michael Cole's wise-ass remark, oh, Taz won the title on his day off. We're not that butthurt sensitive. It's funny listening to podcasters who weren't even ECW fans at the time trying to insinuate that we were all in an uproar, butthurt about Michael Cole's wise-ass line. No. Taz was going to wrestle someone on the following week. This match was designed to set up the match at CyberSlam. Now, was the match disappointing on SmackDown? Absolutely. Did it end in five minutes? Yeah. But a lot of people seem to forget how the match ended. And in case you forgot, here's how it went down. Hey, that's why it's the game. Take a look around you, Michael. You see 18,129 people jammed in standing room only here in Philadelphia. Well, King, it's champion. Have you ever been to that ECW bingo hall? That <laughs> much bigger than a phone booth. I'll tell you this, King. It's champion versus champion, man versus man. No title on the line. This is strictly pride between Triple H and Taz. Triple H on, so much on his mind this week. Two. 
The terrible say night it. he had on Raw Monday night. The what? The terrible Ooh. night on Raw that he had I Monday thought night. you heard him say out of his own mouth that it wasn't that bad a night. Nothing in the record book about it. Triple H tried for a cheap shot, was beat to the punch by Taz. Yeah, that's because that's all that's all Taz can do is fight. He's a street thug. Well, can't wrestle. Can't. He really should be in prison. Well, for Triple H's sake, I hope he knows what he's getting into in this matchup. You're right. Taz is a street thug, as you put it. He's a street survivor. He's a Rottweiler. He'll do anything to win. Can't let Rottweiler roam around on the streets. Oh, what a pair of clotheslines by Taz. And the game is real and early, King. Taz is giving it to Triple H in the corner. Hey, hey ref, ref, the game is in the ropes. I mean, that's illegal. When a man gets in the ropes, you gotta let him out of the corner. And Triple H's wife, Stephanie, does not like what she sees outside. And Taz was going for the super. Oh. a nice counter by Triple H and a knockdown with a clothesline. And that put a smile on the pretty little face. How pretty is she? Triple H. I can't believe the game. her mother would slap that lovely face. Like Stephanie didn't slap her own mother a couple of weeks back. Well, she was provoked. Like Stephanie wasn't going to slap her own mother this past week on Raw. Well, you know what I'm getting out of you? You are just so negative. The WWF is supposed to be fun. Have some fun. Oh, what a clothesline over the top rope by Taz. And Taz with a great accounting of himself so far on SmackDown. Champion taking it to the game. Triple H. Hey, Look wait out, King. Wait, 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 wait. Triple H bounced off the announce hey, table. Disqualify him, you idiot. The game goes for the rod. What a slam by Taz. He said he's a Rottweiler. He needs to be curbed like a dog. Well, again, King. Taz knows how to hurt people. There you go. But so does the game. Triple H as Taz bounces off the steps. That's right. Now business will pick up around here. Bounce his head off the steps again. Triple H broke the count, now back outside the ring with Taz. This challenge was made by Taz. Perhaps second thoughts for the ECW champion as the game begins to systematically pick apart Taz. There you go. What makes Triple H so dangerous, King? The methodical way that he picks apart his opponents. Triple H just, just beat Taz to the point. To, to the point. What, what are these people saying? You want to hear? Triple H setting Taz up. Going for the suplex, and he got it. There's a bunch of foul mouth people up here in the Northeast. And Triple H is cooking now. Triple H, oh, with a knee to the forehead. Ow. Here's a cover, hook of the leg on Taz, and a kick out. Taz will not go away that easily. You hear anybody chanting EZW, EZW? Here's a guy, Taz, who was brought up on the street, King. He's not going to give in without a fight. Yeah, he came up from the gutter, and now he's getting homesick. Triple H is sending back there. And Taz now exchanged punches for the game. And Taz taking control, trying to build momentum. Street fighter you're talking about. Triple H, look out, go yeah. for the right suplex by Taz. A desperation maneuver by Taz, and both men are down in the ring. The referee looked like he wanted to count Triple H's shoulders. Gotta admit, King, it's been a great match. Dude, for who? For great both match, men. Great match for Taz to just be in the ring with the WWF champion. Great match for the fans. Triple H whipped across the ring. Taz with an elbow to the face. You're gonna have to go fist to fist with him, Triple H. That's all this freak thug knows. Oh, look uh -oh. at this. Look at this. What? Look at what? Taz trying to lock it in. Triple H countered. 
And look at Tim for the suplex. There's the bridge. Could be it. Two. It's all. Almost three. A kick out by Triple H. How close was that? Close enough for that referee to get fired. Taz almost had a victory over the game. Almost. That only counts in horseshoes, Michael. Could be another bad night for the game. Triple H. Taz is on the verge of a major upset. And look out. Face buster to the knee. And Triple H. Oh, he missed with a clothesline. And there it is. The transmission's locked in. The transmission's locked in. Look at Stephanie. Triple H is in trouble. And a low blow. A blatant low blow. I didn't see. You didn't see. The referee didn't either. His back was turned. I was watching Stephanie make sure she didn't fall off that apron. Dangerous up there. King, it was a low blow. Plain and simple. Category to Taz. And this is a damn shame. Yeah, you're right. Wait a minute. Who the hell is this? Again, I have heard numerous podcasts from very famous people to nobodies out there. And I'm not saying this criticize. And nobody out there really get upset because I'm not singling anybody out, calling him a nobody. But, you know, for the smallest podcast to the largest podcast out there, they've commented on this. And they said, you know, and this is almost across the board. You basically hear the same thing. Oh, you know, did you really need to bury Taz? And, you know, that, that was kind of messed up, the way they treated the ECW title and, you know, to have it jobbed out the way it was. I completely disagree with that. Number one, we are right smack in the controversy of Mike Awesome showing up on Nitro as the heavyweight champion. We are not even one week removed where a WWF wrestler beat an EC, a WCW wrestler in an ECW ring for a title. So now you have Taz on SmackDown, which, let me say this one thing to throw the whole argument out of the water. Taz was a WWF contracted wrestler. He was not an ECW contracted wrestler. So Taz was doing... Uh, you know, the job to Triple H. They were employees for the same company. But now you had a gigantic WWF televised audience seeing Taz as the ECW heavyweight champion. Taz had momentum in the WWF at that time. Yes, over the years, we have all said that Taz didn't get the push that he probably should have. But still, he came in with a with a, with a a bang, defeated Kurt Angle, you know, I miss Taz on commentary. I miss him in the ring. But Jesus Christ, 
you know, you think of how ECW was having problems in the year 2000. Having ECW's belt show up on SmackDown in the year 2000 when ECW's had its problems and people had jumped ship and the controversy with Mike Awesome, all right, that title showing up on SmackDown and letting million viewers know that they're having a CyberSlam event the following weekend, that was a plus. That was a plus. And not only that, Tommy Dreamer caused Taz to lose because he accidentally hit him with a chair. So that was the reason to lead into, that was the the justification for Taz to fight Tommy Dreamer at Cyberslam. So you look at everything in hindsight, yeah, I'm probably not thrilled that Triple H ended up being the one, but who else in that spot? Who else? So now you have Triple H going over on Taz and we lead to Cyberslam. Tommy Dreamer wins the ECW championship. Taz, very, very well-spoken, putting over Tommy Dreamer, putting over ECW, you know, having a great match with Dreamer. And it was a very emotional moment. We all enjoyed it. It was wonderful. Everything was great. A lot of wrestlers hit the ring. I remember New Jack, Bowles Mahoney, Axel Rott, and others. And then Raven hits the ring. They have the hug. This leads to... Just incredible. Hitting the ring, tacking Raven, tacking Tommy Dreamer. You know, just incredible. Very underrated at that time. Great on the mic. Should he have been ECW Heavyweight Champion at that time? I mean, you really couldn't put up much of an argument about it. You know, some people have said at this time it felt more like AWA's ending. Yeah, at some point. But, you know, still, ECW was still putting on entertaining matches enough where, you know, they were still having great crowds and and great turnouts. But still, just incredible challenges, Tommy Dreamer for the heavyweight title. Not going to play the match because it does run long and just incredible wins. Francine turns on Dreamer. But I think it's only uh, appropriate that I share with everybody Tommy Dreamer's speech that was done right after he won the title because I thought it was really, really sincere. And for everybody that was a fan of Tommy Dreamer then and everybody that's a fan of Tommy Dreamer now, I really think you'll enjoy this moment.
Just incredible, still battling his demons to this day. We wish him nothing but the best, and a lot of people do pray for him. So there you go. This week in the year 2000. We jump on over to 2002. WWF presents Backlash at the Kemper Arena in Kansas City. Yes, it is the same place where Owen Hart tragically passed away. This was the first pay-per-view, actually, since the tragic passing of Owen Hart. The reason why I'm mentioning This event is for two reasons. Number one, Hulk Hogan defeated Triple H to win the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship. This was Hogan's first WWF title since 1993. And that actually is the second longest drought between championship reigns. Backlund has the first with 11 years. But the reason why I bring up this event as well is because this was the last domestic pay-per-view domestic pay-per-view under the WWF name because of the lawsuit with the World Wildlife Fund. After this event, no more pay-per-views domestically. Uh, I think because it was one internationally, but this was the end of WWF, uh, the name WWF. 2003, Alex Shelley loses his hair in a match against Jimmy Jacobs. Took place at IWA Mid-South's April Blood Showers, 2003. 2004, AJ Styles wins the NWA World Heavyweight Championship off of Jeff Jarrett. 
Also in the year 2004, we had the Backlash pay-per-view, WWE's Backlash pay-per-view. And I'm not going to go over the whole card, but it was a very interesting pay-per-view. You know, I, ha I have people occasionally say to me, hey, you know, like, what pay-per-views, non-WrestleMania, or pay-per-views you wouldn't normally tune into that you would recommend? Backlash 2004 is one of them. All right, there were some matches that were really, really wacky. Uh, Jonathan Coachman over Tajiri. Um, Shelton Benjamin defeating Ric Flair. Chris Jericho wrestling Trish Stratus and Christian in a handicap match. But one of my favorite matches that is rarely ever talked about, Randy Orton defeating Mick Foley in a hardcore match for the, to retain the IC Championship. That is a match that I'm surprised isn't talked about more. Uh, Randy Orton going through thumbtacks. Thumb it's just, it's a great match. If you just want to see some old school Randy Orton, go seek that out. Backlash 2004. Now, the following night on Raw, we were uh, pleased to the return of William Regal. He had been out over a year because of health issues. If you remember at that time, because I know we were just starting the podcasts, and we had this pretty lengthy discussion about his heart condition. It was just it was just a very scary situation when it happened in 03 when he got diagnosed with uh, an un he got diagnosed with an undiagnosed heart condition and he had to relinquish his tag title and he was gone for over a year. Well he came back and it was really, really cool to see him. And basically he was, you know, introduced back on TV, sort of like a commissioner role for not not officially, but he was doing some work for Eric Bischoff. And one of the first duties of William Regal, it might have even been the first thing that night on Raw, was Eric Bischoff asked William Regal to watch over Eric's nephew, Eugene Dismore. And, you know, it's Nick Dinsmore, but on TV he was first introduced to us as Eugene Dinsmore. You know, playing off that he's slow. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And um, Eugene would make his uh, debut for the WWE on the main roster. And it was memorable. I mean, you had him going to the announcer's booth, uh, Bush, Bush, Bushwhacker, and he starts licking Jerry Lawler's head. He hits William Regal in the nuts with the T-shirt gun in the middle of the ring. You know, Eugene, right at the beginning, it we liked it. And it quickly fizzled out. And I have said this over the years many times. I know it sounds fucked up. I say it you know, figuratively, not literally. But watching Eugene getting caned by the Sandman at one nightstand was orgasmic. I hated the Eugene character. I just fucking loved it. It's not that I fantasized that he was caning s slow people in general. It was just I did not like where that character went. Eugene busted his ass. So Nick Dinsmore did a phenomenal job with that character. Seriously, giving him all the praise in the world. That doesn't necessarily mean that I was a fan of the character. I poo-pooed on it pretty quickly. So, Also that night on Raw, we had Christian defeating Chris Jericho. And late in the match, we had someone at ringside who kicked Chris Jericho, leading to Christian get the win. And who was this person? Tyson Tomko. That night on Raw, Tyson Tomko made his... TV debut with the company. And last but not least, for 2004, Chris Benoit and Edge over Ric Flair and Batista to win the tag titles. 
At this time, it was noteworthy because Chris Benoit was still the world heavyweight champion. So now Chris Benoit had two titles. What did they do with them? Tune into next week. 2005, this name has been mentioned quite a bit recently with TNA and Lucha Underground. Phoenix, some people call him Phoenix, made his pro wrestling debut. He wrestled under the name Mascara Oriental, teamed up with Rex Estampita, and defeated Suruz and Hantar. Took place for CMLL in Mexico. That same week, Matt Morgan defeated Zack Ryder. I believe that was Zack Ryder's debut for WWF. Not 100% sure, but uh, for some reason I remember it. I think I remember Matt Morgan, you know. <laughs> I didn't like Zack Ryder from the this, this, this start. I mean, he's had his moments where I've given him his due, but I'm pretty sure that was Zack Ryder's debut. That same week on Raw, Jim Ross defeated Triple H in a no-DQ match. Yeah, he got help. That's all I'm going to say. And um, we were right smack in the midst of the controversy with Matt Hardy, Edge, and Lita. Matt Hardy was, quote-unquote, fired from the WWE. This was within the last couple of days. Fans picked up on it very quickly. You know, social media wasn't in, in existence for the most part at that time compared to now, but still word spread rapidly. So on Monday Night Raw, there was a promo segment between Trish Stratus and Lita, and the crowd just absolutely hijacked that moment, chanting, you screwed Matt, you screwed Matt. And I think WWF, because I've brought this up in the past, I think a lot of younger fans out there don't realize this. There was a time where WWF completely frowned on social media. They did not like the social media presence, the internet presence. Sure, it makes things harder when things are leaked out. It makes things harder when everybody's under a microscope, shooting things down, ripping things apart. But besides that, social media has made WWE tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars because of the presence. But at that time, WWE was not happy with social media and the internet in general. Um, it just, they didn't. And I know that they were taken back on how quickly this was picked up by the fans. And ultimately, you know, we would have Matt on TV again, and it turned into a nice little storyline with Leader and Edge, and, you know, the rest is history. 2006, WWE and Brock Lesnar settled their lawsuit. And just to summarize the lawsuit at the time, because I, I actually did a little research on this, the lawsuit was filed in February 2005. And Brock Lesnar had filed the suit because he wanted uh, his no-compete clause uh, unenforceable. And, you know, they fought back and forth in court, fought back and forth, and they basically settled the lawsuit. Now, originally, the no-compete clause meant that Brock Lesnar would not be able to do anything wrestling-related or MMA-related until mid-2010. So... On the surface, you know, he filed the lawsuit because he wanted to know compete to be taken away. But you remember, he was going for the Minnesota Vikings. Football is not MMA or wrestling. So if he would have made it with the Vikings and had a, a decent little NFL career, this wouldn't have been a big issue. But still, because the NFL venture did not work out for him, you know, what else could he do? So now, because they settled this lawsuit in 2006, there was a lot of buzz that Brock Lesnar might go to Japan, 
might actually you know try out MMA and it all started this week 2006 that same week WWE announced didn't announce it publicly but we all found out through friends and calls and reports and things leaked out you know WWE was going to be bringing back ECW and I it's funny because I still remember this clear as day I remember the mass maniac this week, 2006, calling me up. And honestly, this was before it was online. Because if you actually look, if you go to the Wayback Machine and you go to my website and go seek out April 2006, you will see a couple of articles posted where they were ripping a couple of websites. I don't want to mention who they are, but they were ripping them saying, hey, why don't you give credit to uh, de Blasi and... Uh, mass maniac for breaking this because they actually posted this online bec- before it became a news story. I, I wasn't exactly known as Don Tony at that time, so that's that's why it was written that way. But what had happened was, you know, we became friendly with some wrestlers in ECW. Frank Goodman was close with Axel Rotten. I've interviewed him many times. God rest his soul before he passed away. He was on my hotline. I mean, so Axel Rotten, Bulls Mahoney had contacted Frank Goodman and said, hey, I just got a call from WWE. They're going to bring back ECW, and they want to bring some of us in. So as soon as we found out about it, you know, Mass Maniac, I don't blame him. I think I don't know if it was MySpace or the message boards, but he wrote online, WWE's going to bring back ECW. They're going to bring it as a brand. And the rest was history. So there you go. 2007. WWE ends its developmental deal with Deep South Wrestling, and Jody Hamilton, who ran it, was not happy. Filed a lawsuit against WWE, saying first the 90-day clause was not enforced. They didn't give him 90 days notice. And not only that, he had made claims at the time that Johnny Ace was telling wrestlers, if you continue to wrestle for Deep South, you will not work for WWE. So they ultimately would settle, and wrestlers were relocated to Ohio Valley Wrestling which then ultimately would be relocated to the Florida Championship Wrestling, but it was this week in 07 that they uh, stopped working with Deep South. That same week in 2007, Austin Aries suspended by TNA for 90 days. Conduct detrimental to the company. What was the misconduct? You know, I was going to bring it up here, but uh, there's still conflicting reports to this day. So I don't want to say anything here which actually may be untrue, but you can look it up for yourself. But it did happen. It was a big story at the time. You know, Austin Aries being suspended by TNA. Also in 2007, arguably the greatest match ever to air on Monday Night Raw. If it's not still considered the greatest, it's got to be in the top three. Top five at, at minimum. John Cena versus Shawn Michaels in a non-title match on Raw. It was uh, probably close to an hour in length. And Shawn Michaels did win that match, and it was just from top to bottom one of the greatest matches ever to take place on Monday Night Raw. I remember opening up the Don Tony and Kevin Castle show and really giving it praise. I mean, at that time, a lot of people, if you think about the unpopularity of Roman Reigns in recent years, it was like that in 07 with Cena as well. Um, But still, we gave that match its due. It was fucking phenomenal. It really was. Two other stories from 07. And, you know, I wasn't going to bring up either one, but I, you know what? I, I might as well. Because I remember 
you know, how big of a buzz this was. And it's not fair to an extent to Batista because everybody has bad days. But it was just the way it went down and it got so much press at the time online. I know Batista regrets it. I know WWE did not like it at the time. And basically what happened was, you know, Batista was overseas in the UK. And he was advertised for an autograph signing. And Batista in 2007 was tremendously popular. And I look, again, everybody has bad days. I met Batista here in New York in 2007. We did an autograph signing in Howard Beach that I actually was involved with. A lot of you longtime listeners may remember, and I'm sure you could probably find an old ad floating around Google where uh, if listeners or people online wanted an autograph from Batista, you paid me whatever it was. I don't know if it was 40 bucks or 30 bucks, but Batista signed a whole bunch of autographs personalized. I got it from him, and I mailed it to everybody individually. Because, look, not everybody was able to go meet Batista in person. It was happening here in Howard Beach, New York. But it was this week in 07, he went to the U.K. Fans waited hours upon hours to meet him. And it was one kid in particular. I'm not going to mention his name. There's no reason to give any attention to it now. But there was an eight-year-old kid who actually cut out of school, and his father and his kid waited online, and it happened to be the kid's birthday. So they go up to the to the you know to meet Batista, and the kid's got a birthday card. So the father asks Batista, "Look, could you sign my son's birthday card?" And Batista said, "No." And he absolutely refused to sign the birthday card. The kid was wailing, crying in tears, had waited hours upon hours, and the local news organizations in the UK picked up on that. So Batista got a boatload of negative press that week. So I just figured I'd share it because it did happen this week in 07. And another article, I wonder if any of you out there remember uh, Psycho Sybil. Do you remember the bullshit that we uncovered with this fucking Matarats, this nut job. We talked about it on the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show at the time. There was a woman that had a tattoo parlor in, I believe, Montana. And she basically was getting all of this publicity about being a former women's wrestler. And, you know, look, you print an article about a woman who was in women's wrestling and she's battling health issues and she's on the mend and she opens up a tattoo shop and she's, you know, got all these legendary stories, you know, news outlets might want to pick up on that story. The problem is, is once this was exposed to be nothing but lie, not only did the original, just think about this, the original news reporter, not only did she not take the article down, but she actually, in a follow-up, was quoted as saying, since wrestling is fake, then what, what's wrong with this article? And it was just amazing at that time. And the woman's name was Jamie Papakaladopoulos Milrion or whatever. And they talked about how she could bench press 420 pounds, that she used to get black eyes from the fabulous moolah, that she had a championship match with Candy Devine. And I got to read you a couple of lines from this article. It's really fucking funny. Uh, quote, I'm a moolah girl from way back. The old lady used to beat the crap out of me. 
One time, Mula gave me a black eye, and when I confronted her, Mula punched my other eye and said, there, you have a matching set. Training on raw meat and cigarettes, Midoran was a solid 200 pounds and worth $18.5 million at the height of her career. She said she won seven titles and had an undefeated record with two disqualifications. Quote, I almost lost the Southern International Belt, but I threw the ref out of the ring. I thought I was going to lose, but I got disqualified instead. But all that glory wasn't worth the heavy repercussions. Milron said that she used steroids to the max and believes that that contributed to serious health problems later on. She also suffered numerous broken bones. Uh, During a ladder match where the belt is hung above the ring, Middleron's cable snapped and she fell through the ring, breaking her back. She also has bruised several ribs from running the ropes and has had two plastic knees. The bone above her eye has been broken several times and she has received 117 stitches in her head. Milron said that she was diagnosed with leukemia in 1997 and had a liver transplant 18 months ago. Her leukemia is now in full remission and she has 100% liver function. But just before her main event at Madison Square Garden, Milron got a call that her husband, Sailor Moses, was on his deathbed. So she did not have her match against China and left wrestling that day in 1997 and never went back. After Moses died, I went crazy. I lost my mind. And it goes on and on and on, and it is 100% lie. Never was a wrestler, never had a wrestling career, and it was just amazing at that time. And again, if you go back to Wayback Machine on my website, You'll find story after story after story after story like this. Not just with her, but just wacky, wacky shit that nobody ever ha- really wanted to, to, you know, really have a, a, a field day with. It was just, it's just funny looking back at wacky shit like that over the years. And it's amazing how much press this woman got. And the funny thing is, I did some research. She is still alive. She still owns a tattoo parlor. People have confronted her over the years of being a fraud, but she just blocks and ignores people. And honestly, at this point, I would leave her alone. You know, it's for whatever reason this was done, it was done, needed attention. I mean, you know, we talk about social media these days on how people will lie about their own health. They'll tell you about family members being sick or animals or, you know, they had these crazy things happen to them. And it's really just so they could get a whole bunch of people to respond back. Oh, thinking about you, pray, praying for you. We care about you, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there's just so many people out there just looking for attention. It's, it's a drug. It's addicting. It's addicting. I've said it many times. Social media for some people, it is a drug that they have to feel like they're wanted. They have to feel like people acknowledge what they say. And it's a little disturbing at times to see people that you know personally or saw the know doing that. And you kind of feel bad for them. So anyway, just going from the wacky to to even worse. 2008, Monday Night Raw, audio clip coming. You just got to keep this in perspective. What was going on in 2008 at this time outside of wrestling? We were trying to find out who the next president was going to be. On the Democratic side, we did not know who was going to be the nominee. It was still down to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama for the most part. 
So they're basically debating all across the United States. And WWE decided to have some satire. And a match went down on Monday Night Raw. I posted photos of the participants as the synopsis. Yeah, you look back on it, you know, the play on Obama's ears was pretty fucked up and all that. And look, this was the drizzling shit that did not belong on TV. But what I appreciate about this entire segment is Tim Waters. And it's sad when you see websites that are too goddamn lazy to do research. And especially when you go back in history and you see all these wrestling sites and you see how they cut and paste each other and nobody's really doing any research. They're not a fucking journalist or a reporter. Just cutting and copying articles that you read on other people's websites and put on your own doesn't make you a journalist. What the fuck is that? And it was sad because, you know, at that time, I remember us talking about it on the DTKC show and we were trying to figure out who played the roles of everybody on TV. And, you know, we learned that Dion Davis, who wrestled at the time for EWA and CWA, played Obama. Shimmer wrestler Lexi Fye was playing Hillary. But nobody bothered to do any research to see who Bill Clinton was. And you go on all these websites, they say, oh, the Bill Clinton character, he was on WWE many times in the past. He was seen with Sonny, and he's, you know, a guy that's, uh, you know, the impersonator. Nobody fucking, not, not one wrestling website that I could find even to this day he ever bothered to look up this guy. This guy is so freaking talented, Tim Waters. And look, I am a big supporter of President Trump. But Tim Waters, who was notorious and was on Leno and other shows hundreds of times as an impersonator for Bill Clinton, he is now impersonating President Trump. And it's hilarious. It is fucking funny. Tim Waters is, is so talented doing these, you know, satirical impressions of people. But you watch it, you laugh your ass off. You listen to it, you laugh still. When you listen back to this disaster debacle that happened on Monday Night Raw of Barack Obama versus Hillary Clinton in a wrestling match, you just listen in the background to Tim Waters as Bill Clinton. And he is the, the all-star. He is the MVP of this entire segment. The following is a Democratic primary presidential smackdown scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, she is former first lady, a devoted Hulkamaniac, and the junior senator of New York, Hillary Clinton. Oh, you know how historic this is? She is! And look, she brought along Bill! Of course, Senator, Senator Clinton is from New York State. Former first couple right there. Well, she represents New York State. I can't believe that Bill is here as well. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Is, that, is Senator Clinton going to wrestle in the, the attire that she's wearing? That like a nice business suit. Pantsuit. Oh, really? I know you hate them. <laughs> Not on Senator Clinton. They look nice. Bill in the room. Look out! Oh. Look out! Somebody help him! Shiver <laughs> well, is not dead, but it's awkward. <laughs> oh, 
Chicago primaries tomorrow, but tonight we have Senator Clinton in our ring. You know something, Hillomaniac? This election means many things to many people. Bill. Move over, Bill. I'm sorry. When you talk about change, you need someone with the experience to make changes happen and... and <laughs> Stop it right now. Stop honey, it I'm right just trying now. to help you. you I'm only trying to help. No, you Can't stay I help, right please, here. honey? No, you know I love no, you. you stay right I can help. here. No, I'm telling you. Please let me help, honey. This, I don't need your help. This is my time. You have it? My time, not before. your time. My turn you know, now. I've been here my before. turn All right. now. Whether you're a mover or shaker, Amish or Quaker, when it comes to change, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when Hillary Clinton and her superdelegates run wild on you? He could be double stunt double. Finally, Barack has come back to South Carolina. <laughs> oh, what? What's people's eyebrow? Now, you two Rudy Poudre bronies actually think that you can change Washington? Is that what you think? I'll handle this one, honey. You know, Jesse Jackson once asked me what I thought, and I told him what I'm gonna tell you. 
change is a concept. It doesn't Con matter what you think! <laughs> well, I guess it doesn't after all now, does it? <laughs> hey. If you smell <laughs> what Barack is cooking. festivities, I think, I think now, are over and we're ready for some physicality. Is this an intergender matchup? I think this would be definitely called an intergender matchup. If we check the rock for foreign objects, oh, look at those ears. They carry a lot of weapons in those ears. I get it. I think he winked at somebody. Come on, hey, don't touch her. Don't, she doesn't even let me touch her. Come on, man, leave her alone. She hasn't had a man touch her in so many years, it's not even funny. Come on. You always told me that tickled too much, huh? All right, Here we go. Actually, just look at this. On a double leg. Hillary with a takedown. She's all over Barack Obama. Come on, honey. Man. She's taking off her high heels, at least. Shows that Hillary's serious. Oh. She's going look at this! Oh, my goodness! Hillary slamming the opposition. This is unbelievable. Look at Hillary with a leg drop. Oh, that's a massive thigh drop. One, two, three. Oh. She had him. She had the guy. Come on. Oh, there's Obama with a big knee lift. Oh, they medium knee lift. Oh, yeah. Look out. Hey, honey. Why don't you Hillary? Don't let him hit you with those ears. Oh, no. What you going for here? The Barack bottom? Yes! Samoan Spike! He's on the other side. He's free. 
Well, how you doing? Boy, big fella, I'll tell you, this is my wife, Helen. I'd like you to meet her. Come on, honey. He's for, he wants to vote. Honey, he's gonna vote for you. Ah! Oh, Jesus. Thought that Hillary had just gotten the endorsement from. Well, Bill, come back. President Clinton leaving in a hurry. Uh-oh. No, I don't think that Samoan spike was an endorsement for you, Senator Clinton. Oh, no, you got to be kidding me. Oh, my gosh. I'm a fan of Tim Waters' work, and I'm glad I get to bring up this segment just to shout him a little praise. Wrapping up 2008, Michael Hayes suspended from WWE. In fact, we'll mention two suspensions involving Michael Hayes on this episode. This is the first one. Why did he get suspended? Well, WrestleMania 24 after party, Michael Hayes had said some uh, very offensive words towards Mark Henry. And look, over the years, it's common knowledge. Michael Hayes coming from the South, he has said the N-word many times. Um, It was utilized quite a bit in the South, but Michael Hayes insisted it was never said with malice. If you actually do some research, there have been claims over the years when Stephanie herself hired African-American writers, you know, that Michael Hayes has been accused of making disparaging remarks, you know, she hired one of them. You know, it's just this. That's not the exact words, but these are things that have been said. She hired someone of um, Indian descent, and he is called him and Kali San. You know what? Look, I don't know if he said any of this, but this is what's been attributed to him over the years. But it was the after party, and obviously, this is fact because he was suspended over it it's been talked about public many times since then michael hayes did apologize to mark henry and mark henry accepted the apology but michael hayes this week in 08 was suspended for 60 days for basically saying to mark henry at an after party i'm more of an n than you are and you can fill in the blank what n stands for so there you go 2009 bobby lashley makes his tna debut he shows up at the lockdown pay-per-view also, that same week, uh, Big Show in a match on Raw against Rey Mysterio. Nothing big coming out of this match, but the visual is just funny. Basically, Rey Mysterio goes for a 619. Big Show catches him, is holding Big Show like, I mean, Big Show is holding Mysterio like a child and punches him in the head. Because, you know, Big Show's finisher is the knockout punch. Punches Rey in the head, knocks him out, and pins him. But if you watch it, it's fucking funny because it looks like, you know, like. I know this is going to sound messed up, but it's like you got an annoying kid. You don't want to hurt a kid. You don't want to even put your hands on a kid. You get arrested for that. But just figuratively, you got an annoying kid. Won't shut up, won't shut up. And you pick up the kid and you hold him one arm and you just knock him out. That's what it just looked like on TV. It was disturbing, but humorous. I don't know. I saw it. I thought it was funny. 
And it wasn't, Rey Mysterio is not a kid. We're just talking about the size of an individual. You can say that for a midget, annoying midget. I'm not saying Mysterio is a midget. Am I burying myself right now? Small person, small individual. 2010, WWE presents Monday Night Smackdown from New Jersey. Why did we get Monday Night Smackdown? Long story short, Raw roster was stuck in the UK because of an erupting volcano. And traveling out of the country was banned. They had nowhere to go. So WWE had the SmackDown wrestlers wrestle on Monday Night Raw. And quite honestly, you know, with the exception of Kaluber, you remember the match, Kaluber and McGruber versus Vladimir Kozlov? With the exception of that, it was a pretty entertaining Monday Night Raw. CM Punk got his head shaved from Rey Mysterio. It was a lot of shit that went down that night. But this was when they were doing guest hosts. And they had that movie. Was, was the movie called McGruber? I didn't. I hated it so much, I will not even do a Google search to see what the name of the movie was. But all I know is Great Khali dressed up as Kaluber. Oh, God, I'm getting diarrhea thinking about it. We're going to wrap up this episode momentarily. 2010, WWE has a little bit of spring cleaning. They release Mike Knox, Katie Lee Burchill, Terry Gordy, Jimmy Wang Yang, Mickey James, Funaki, and Shelton Benjamin. 2013, press release. I remember uh, the governor of Florida being there, Triple H being there. Was it Rick Scott? I think his name is, and Triple H. They had a big press release this week in 13 that they were going to be opening up the WWE Performance Center. It's a pretty big deal. Actually, this week in 13, they had some pretty big announcements. Not only did WWE announce that they were going to be creating a performance center, but they also were involved with Total Divas. And it was this week in 2013, the E! Entertainment Network issued a press release that they have uh, gave the green light to go ahead with a new reality show coming up called Total Divas. And, you know, I had quotes from, you know, WWE executives. The Bellas were featured in the press release. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to read the whole press release, but, you know, if you're a fan of Total Divas, it was this week in 13 that they announced they were going to be uh, creating that uh, that show. Unfortunately, this same week in 2013, Rosa Mendez was sent home from the European tour for personal reasons. And um, it was it was a pretty messed up story. I mean... For those that don't remember, you know, Rosa Mendez has had issues with alcohol. And, you know, she's had some problems in relationships as well. I mean, I'm not going to mention them right now because this didn't take place in this. But still, she went through some shit. She's doing well now. She has a young child. And I have seen nothing but good things talked about with Rosa Mendez. And I've actually praised her uh, more than others on podcast over the years. I know, you know, look, was she ever a great wrestler in the ring? No. Was she more of a valet? Yes. You know, the people that turn around and really just belittle her simply because she doesn't do fucking five-star moves in the ring, I think is a little bit disrespectful because, you know, in wrestling, you have all different people for all different roles and all different, you know, duties. But in 2013, this week, she was sent home for personal reasons. She was she went through a relapse of an alcohol addiction. And when I said earlier about Michael Hayes being suspended twice, the second suspension did not happen this week. What happened this week was WWE had the European tour. She was overseas with WWE, and she had a relapse of her alcohol problems. 
She was addicted to alcohol. She had an alcohol drinking problem. And uh, caused the scene overseas. WWE sent her home. And she would be off TV until August. She went through quite a bit of rehab. And she battled and overcame her addiction to alcohol. So where does Michael Hayes fit in all of this? Well, just think about this. She's got an alcohol problem. She cured it, came back, relapsed. Cured it, relapsed. This week in 13, relapses again. She's sent home. She fights, battles, overcomes it, returns to the WWE in August. Well, later on that year, after coming back from this addiction, they spot her with Michael Hayes in a bar. And basically, you know, Michael Hayes knew about her alcohol abuse issues and her addiction to it and her, you know, needing to stay away. And basically, Michael Hayes was in a bar with her drinking. So WWE suspended him for his lapse in judgment. So, again, I hear nothing but good with Rosa Mendez right now. I know people personally who have dealt with alcohol problems throughout their life. It is a never-ending battle, a never-ending fight. Thank God, you know, I've never had an alcohol problem. I don't drink alcohol for the most part. I'll have a glass of wine here and there. I go to a function. I'll have a drink. But for the most part, no. But I do know people who use that to masquerade pain. I know people who do it because of depression. I know people that do it because their body is chemically dependent to it. So it is a lifelong battle. And, uh, you know, we just wish nothing but uh, the best for her. 2015, Kara Hogan makes her pro wrestling debut. She lost in her debut match against Dementia DeRose for the AWE promotion in Atlanta, Georgia. Unfortunately, and I know a lot of Ring of Honor fans especially will remember this, 2015 Tokyo Sports Magazine reveals Takeshi Morishima would be forced into retirement. He had health issues, went to doctors. They revealed um, he has a complicated form of diabetes, and they all recommended that he retire immediately. So unfortunately, we had Morishima retire this week in 2015. Finally, 2016, a commercial aired. It's unfucking believable. I can't find this commercial. If someone out there finds this commercial, I got to see it. I remember seeing it once, and I, I remember going on one of the shows that we do, and I'm like, what the fuck did I just see? But it's amazing how WWE has had this commercial removed everywhere. You see people on Daily Motion, YouTube, personal pages they post clips of wwe wwe never tells them take it down they're fine with it but one commercial in 2016 they will not allow it to stay up and for those that don't remember this commercial i posted a screenshot of the commercial on the synopsis this week wwe is promoting extreme rules and for some reason they showed two ladybugs having sex on a plant. And basically what the thing was is what's more better than this? Watching WWE Extreme Rules. I can't find that commercial. And it's what's what's pathetic about it is is that you got Matarazzi's on YouTube since then who post these clips, the most outrageous WWE commercials of all time or the most outrageous WWE commercials in the last 10 years. You go on there and not only is that commercial not on there, but they have left others out. So it's just nobody, for some reason, has this footage. It's just it's amazing how WWE is really... 
we look, we talked about the scandals earlier. You heard about Mel Phillips, the foot fetch, alleging touching kids, private parts. You know, WWE in recent years have gone out of their way to avoid all screenshots of Mel Phillips as much as possible on the network. I don't know if you're aware of that. That I could see. But they have gone beyond out of their way so this commercial is nowhere to be found. It's amazing. Good. See for yourself. But unbelievable. That same week in Massachusetts, NXT at an event, Samoa Joe defeated Finn Balor to win the NXT title. And finally, it was this week in 2017, we had a match on Raw. It was the main event between Big Show and Braun Strowman. And what was memorable about this match was because they did the suplex off the top rope and the ring imploded. And that's how we went off the air on Monday Night Raw. So I hope you enjoyed this week in wrestling history. Interesting, very interesting stuff to get into. Notable birthdays. Those who celebrated birthdays this week that are no longer with us. Rowdy Roddy Piper, Angelo Savoldi, Ox Baker, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, Little Beaver, and Axel Rotten. Happy birthday. Tony Atlas turned 64. Brutus Beefcake, 61. Kevin Kelly, a.k.a. Nels, he turned 60. Steve Lombardi, we talked about early, turns 57. Universal Dosimil turns 55. El Samurai and Miguel Perez Jr. turn 52. Pimpinella Escarlata turns 49. Mini Rey Mysterio turns 46. Orlando Jordan, 44. Damian El Terrible, 42. Johnny Storm, John Cena, Brandon Baxter, and Relic all turn 41. Danny Devine turns 37. Moose and Garrett Bischoff, happy birthday, they turn 34. Kurt Hawkins and Jay Lethal turn 33. Jesse Goddard and Chuck Taylor, 32. And Nikki Cross, she turns 29. Notable deaths this week. Uh, sad, and I included some very recent ones. We lost Bruno San Martino this week at the age of 82. Paul Jones passed away at the age of 75. Katsushi Ueda and Frankie Williams died at age 71. Mitsukazu Arakawa and Gory Guerrero, they passed away at age 69. Ted Grizzly died at age 65. Wahoo McDaniel, 63. Rosie Matanoi. Brother of Roman Reigns, passed away at age 47. We lost Joni Lara, China. She died this week, age 45. Ravishing Rick Rude passed away this week at the age of 40. Volano number two died at age 39. And Mazakazu Fukita passed away at age 27. And that is it. I hope you enjoyed this week in wrestling history. I am Don Tony once again, bidding you farewell. We will be back in one week with episode 17. Please, feedback. Follow me on Twitter, at DonTonyD. The website, DonTony.com. Email DonTony at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC Show. Those same letters, DTKCShow.com for all of the archives of this show and all the others we do. And if you like what we do, you want to help support the shows, keep these free, help keep the bills paid, consider signing up for our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Don Tony. Not only do we have pay-per-view predictions contests there, we have giveaways that we do there, but we have Patreon-exclusive shows that are available only there. 
Every other week, you got yours truly and Anthony Missionary Thomas of Wrestling Soup. We do a podcast called Breakfast Soup. There's at least 50 episodes up there as we speak. You have Kevin Castle, who does his solo show, Castle Chronicles. We put up, you know, previews of this show and others on Patreon first. And truly, everyone there are the stockholders of what we do. Their feedback, everything really is instrumental on how we operate. And for as little as five bucks, you get access to everything. And believe me, you sign up there. Very, very tight-knit family. There's only a couple of hundred those that sign up there. So believe me, it is a very uh, intimate group. And we all interact with each other there. And it's a great place to go. So once again, it is patreon.com slash Don Tony. I am out of here for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back in one week with your next episode. Be well, everyone. Take care. Ciao. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments where bold moves require confident blueprints, where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at saic.com slash cloud. Business as usual is a thing of the past, but the entrepreneurial spirit keeps us closing in on our dream. That's why U.S. Bank makes sure solutions are a conversation away. So we can help you adapt and evolve your business, no matter what comes up. Because even in uncertainty, you can be certain we have your back. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender, member FDIC.